I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres such as monsters, graboids, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. All right, guys, and we're back with mine and Josh's crazy marathon of record as many fucking episodes before the baby gets here as we can. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, there's some weird breaks in the recordings and then like doing a couple back to back and it just gets kind of crazy. Yeah, we're all over the place, but we're not going to let you all down. Hopefully we're we're doing this with lots of energy and sounding really excited because these downloads are going up and I'm getting really happy about it. So <laughs> I hate that we're going bi-weekly at that point in time, but we'll just keep making as good of an episode as we can. Well, didn't we recently cross a uh, threshold as far as the, uh, the downloads go? Yeah, we uh, broke 1,000 downloads. Again, as we can say for what the third time with the new <laughs> metrics. So I'm excited because that means, I mean, by the way, our numbers get fucked. There's going to be so many more downloads than a thousand. And uh, I don't know. We're kind of excited. Josh said he was going to do a happy dance. I made him pay the fucking piper and it's going on the Instagram and the Twitter. Yes. Yeah, see Josh dance. I hate to say it, but I haven't even listened to the fucking James Wan episode at this point. <laughs> that one was rough, man. We recorded to like two o'clock in the fucking morning. <laughs> Yeah, normally we record on the weekend, and just the way things are working out, we had to do that one after work on a Monday, so we were both fucking worn out, went all the way to two in the morning. I really love a lot of those movies. I was excited to do it. I hope it sounds fine. If not, I mean, sorry, guys, the the, the content was there. The energy just might not have been. Yeah, we will not stop churning these out. We refuse. But we're back to categories again, and we have one that we've kind of been milling overdoing. We want to talk about, you know, the boogeyman. The thing that lives in the darkness, the thing that's under your bed, inside your closet. Monsters. And not the universal classic monsters, but like uh, Jesse alluded to, the other monsters. So we may go a little off towards sci-fi. We may go a little off towards adventure. We may go a little off towards, is it all an analogy and in somebody's head? Um, (laughs) That works with two movies, actually. I'm going to say, though, I really wanted to cover critters, and I felt like they have to go under aliens and not fucking monsters. They do. They, they came from, from the same place that the thing came from. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely monstrous creatures. They, they fit that monster category so well. I, just, I want to do critters. It's fun. We're going to have to do that. Yes, absolutely. Aliens are coming up then, I guess. Yeah, we will definitely be doing alien. Um, I don't know how far into, into that we'll go, but uh, yeah, that, critters, the thing, there's all kinds of stuff from space that's fucking horror that we will be covering. I feel like aliens or sci-fi or whatever we call it is going to end up having to be like a three-parter. <laughs> Probably. There's a lot of good ones in there. There is. The more you think about it, the more you're like, oh, shit. You know, because there's a difference between like, you know, well, what are you trying to say? That Star Wars is a horror franchise? Like, no, we're not. But we're saying that there's fucking horror in other places like Alien. Great example. Like, that's a fucking horror movie. It just happens to take place in space with these fucking alien creatures that have acid for blood. But if you replace them with anything else, this is where everybody expects Josh to say Freddy Krueger. Um, <laughs> it's a fucking horror movie. So there's different directions we can branch off. Maybe we'll do the Universal Classics one day. I don't know. There's just not a lot of energy in there for me to do those. That'd be kind of fun, though. Uh, let's go back to the roots, to the Silver Age. I'm trying to think if I've seen anything cool horror-related that's not for the podcast. We've had to watch so many movies the past like month and a half to get caught up for the baby gets here that I, I don't even know. I know there's some cool announcements like American Horror Story. The next season's going to be a slasher season in the 80s. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Slasher season three's out on Netflix. I haven't seen that yet. No, I haven't watched any of those. Oh, the first season's a little meh. It's worth watching. The second one was better. Okay. It's an anthology show. They have nothing to do with each other. Gotcha. So it's just a different slasher each season. Oh, we finally watched Black Mirror 
oh my god, and the name of it is the name of the book in the video game, the fucking choose your own adventure one. Bandersnatch. Yes. Finally watched that. And we did the asshole thing like you did when you were a kid, and every time you got the bad ending, you just kept going. So like we saw the credits, and then four hours later, we finished the movie. I was a little angry how many choices didn't affect the story because I I tried to yeah. find like basically almost every possible outcome, and like the serial thing does almost nothing. Yeah. Um, we did manage to watch Bye Bye Man. Have you seen that? No, I haven't even heard of that one. Well, you've got uh, fucking Drop Bears. Oh my God, I can't think of his name. Lee Wanell. Okay. He's at least in the opening and then in a brief scene later on. And oh man, it starts off like, fuck yeah, I am so excited for this movie. And then after he goes off camera, because this is the opening, like it's just instantly downhill from there. So drop bears aren't as cool of an antagonist as you think? Well, or? no, no, they're, 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 they don't have the drop bears in this one. I'm just, I'm just stuck on that when I talk about any, any Australian person. But uh, no, it starts off good and then goes to shit, for me at least. We got some horror movies coming out in theater soon, though, right? Like Child's Play is in like a month or so, isn't it? No. Nope. I'd have to look at a calendar. Have you seen all the posters that are like taking cracks at Toy Story 4? Uh-uh. So all the posters, like one of them, he's walking away with his knife in his hand, Chucky is, and uh, Woody's like dismembered on the floor. Another one, he's got Slinky Dog over a fire. This they come out the awesome. same weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess when they announced what weekend Toy Story was coming out, they just started making posters with Chucky killing the characters. Yeah. Well, we already know which one's going to dominate the box office on that one. They're kind of like the dollar store version of the characters. They can't make it look just like Woody or Slinky Dog, <laughs> yeah. but. You can tell. But anyways, I guess we should probably get on with our movies. My first one, I fucking, I love this one. It's so fun to watch. Saw it in theaters. Feast 2005. Yeah, this movie is so awesome. I do want to go ahead and say one, spoilers. You know, we go into great detail. It's what we fucking do. And what's interesting for me about this one is this is probably the most extreme we've gotten out of the movies we've covered thus far. I don't know if you're going through the unrated version or not on this. And I don't know how much is in the rated versus the unrated or if there was only an unrated, I could be completely fucking wrong on this, but there's some fucking extreme subject matter in this movie that, uh, it feels like it's more by fans for fans. Like a lot of horror movies we talk about, it's like, it's just a good movie. Anybody could watch this. No, this appeals to a certain taste. <laughs> and that kind of goes into like the backstory, how it was made. And like usual, my first movie has a lot more interesting backstory than the rest of them. But I don't know. This is a fun movie. You got an ensemble cast. There's not really like a star. For most of the part, right? Yeah. It's paced very well because it's a quick, quick movie with no downtime, but nothing's too fast, right? It's not like the last season of Game of Thrones. I was having a hard time picking one-liners out because there's so many good one-liners in this movie. Yeah, there is. Everybody has a good one-liner, but Henry Rollins kind of steals the show on the one-liners. <laughs> there's there's a, actually, for it being like an hour and a half movie where they could have just stuck people in to be lambs to the slaughter, it actually has pretty good character development to you. Yeah. Like, yeah, some people become heroes and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, you got two, two main characters to me that gives you enough to hold your interest. And uh, the whole fucking movie's filmed in one room, basically. Well, a couple of rooms in one bar. Yeah. And they managed to do much more in this than they did in Clerks. The interesting thing about this movie, though, is the way that it was made. It was actually from season three of Project Greenlight. And I knew it was from Project Greenlight, but I'd never actually seen that season. And it's because it never aired on TV. So I had to track it down. Oh, okay. And when we went and saw it in theaters, not we, you weren't with me, but yeah. like when me and some friends saw it open and weekend, we knew it was from Project Greenlight, but we didn't really know what was going on with all that. So I, I finally got to do some research. Are you familiar with Project Greenlight? I, I barely know of the concept, but I never followed it. It was like a documentary TV show. I think it was on Showtime, but don't quote me on that. And it was Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. 
And they would get like writers together that were trying to make it into the business and directors. And they would kind of go through scripts and then look at like shorts that people had made and kind of put them together and then have dimension pay to have the movie made basically. Yeah. This ended up being like the most successful one. Cause most of them, I think were like straight to video things or something. The two guys that wrote the movie were Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstain. They did the collection and the collector movies, some of the Saul sequels. And it says they're working on Halloween retold, which I don't know what the fuck that is. And I'm a huge Halloween fan. What? Yeah. It says it's in pre-production and it's a sequel to the first one, like a direct sequel. Like what happened after you hit the ground? Didn't we just have a direct? Oh, Uh, you mean like retelling the original to like, okay, not Rob Zombie's Halloween too, but like. From him hitting the ground like the original took off. Yeah, yeah. What happened and how he ended up getting arrested, I guess. But Oh, okay. I don't know. Basically, IMDb was the only thing I could find about this movie. I couldn't <laughs> find anything else. So. so it may not even be happening. I'm not hopeful for it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so they were pitching the movie and it was to Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, some people I didn't know, and fucking Master Horror Wes Craven was there. Okay. Okay. He didn't like the script. He said it was a shitty script. The guys kept comparing it to Evil Dead 2, the guys that made it. And, uh, of course, Dimension Studio execs are involved in this process as well. So I don't know how the other seasons went, but Ben Affleck and Matt Damon picked a script, and it wasn't the Feast one. Okay. Dimension wanted the Feast one. They said that these guys that wrote it were their kind of guys. (laughs) They thought they'd fit in. They thought they could make the movie cheaply, and they thought they could turn a quick profit. Yeah. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon were not happy with that because they signed on to that show to help people make like artsy movies or just movies that couldn't get made and not like make dimension a profit. Yeah. Not have some studio or uppity type person be like, oh no, pass on this. Cause I mean, everybody always thinks of the acting roles of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, but a lot of people either don't know or forgot that they were like the youngest two directors and writers to ever win an Oscar yeah. for Goodwill Hunting because they fucking made it and starred in it. Applesauce, bitch. <laughs> Applesauce, bitch. That's exactly right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so they're trying to help other young filmmakers, or in this case, they weren't even that young, make a movie and make their dreams come true. Yeah. But when the studio wants the movie and Bob and Harvey Weinstein want the movie, it's going to happen, right? Yeah. If if Harvey Weinstein's involved, somebody's getting fucked. So <laughs> that man's getting his way. Matt Damon wanted to go with art and the studio wanted to go with money and he was pissed about it. And when he's arguing with the studio execs, it was really awesome because you can find this on YouTube because like I said, the season didn't air okay. probably because there was so much fighting on it. <laughs> but he's yelling at the studio execs and it's not the Weinsteins. It's the guys under them. And he's like, you're sitting two feet from the fucking master of horror. And he's telling you it fucking sucks. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty, and you know, Wes Craven's just sitting in the background, like in the corner smiling. Right. Yeah. Cause he was, I don't know. I'm sure they touched it up a bit after it won. Cause you don't get to see that in between process. You just get to see them arguing over it's going to get made or not. And then it got made. Okay. Wes Craven had already signed on to help that season, so I'm assuming he had to help with it, because his name's on the poster and shit, right? Yeah, his name's on the cover of the damn DVD. Yeah, so he, he had to have done something. The funniest part, though, is they're interviewing Ben Affleck afterwards. He's drinking the whole time, right? So he's a little drunk, and he says that this documentary is a true representation of Hollywood, because you got a group of people come together and come up with a great idea and try to make like a good film for art. And then the studio fucks them and gets what they want in the end. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it goes. I mean, some people give them flat because of movies and shit they're in, especially Ben Affleck. But like when you come down to like just interviewing them, like about like the business and the genre and just being like two guys drinking from Boston, they seem pretty laid back for the most part. Yeah. I don't know what's up that giant dragon tattoo on Ben Affleck's back right now that I keep seeing on the (laughs) internet, but maybe he's a little crazy, but I love the guy. He's the bomb in Phantoms. 
<laughs> yeah, but he did do reindeer games. <laughs> oh, fuck. I forgot about that movie. <laughs> but in the end, they decided to make the movie, and it was the first... Um, it was the first Project Greenlight movie to have like a huge positive reaction because like Harvey screened it in his room and he's like, I like it, this and that. And uh, they wanted to make the movie. And this is right when the Weinsteins were shifting dimension away from Disney ownership. Okay. So they were afraid their movie was going to kind of get lost in the mix of that. And it didn't. They got to make the movie. And they screened the movie with Affleck, Damon, Kevin Smith. Of course, Jason Mewes was there and like all the cast and crew and some execs. And everybody fucking loved the m- movie. The studio liked it so much, they're like, we need, we want better sound, and we want to touch up the special effects on the monsters, because they just had the monsters, like, in the cow skins and stuff they didn't have where you actually saw it yet. Oh, okay. So the studio actually gave them money to go back in and shoot the monsters again a little bit, and they redid all the sound. Okay. Or came up with monster growls and whatnot for them, right? Yeah. But the funny thing is, they had an actual, like, red carpet screening day for the movie that they had to meet, and they had one day to mix the audio. And they spent a whole day doing it. Holy shit. They finished 14 hours before the screening and then took a nap. <laughs> but the movie, like, it performed really well. You can see, like, the, the premiere on YouTube, like, with the cameras. Everybody's screaming in fear. Then you see people, like, laughing. You see people grossed out. And the movie, it hits all those. It's funny. Oh, yeah. It's gory sometimes. And it, it's got some good scares in it. Yeah, it's got good scares. It's got good shock. And honestly, at the time when it came out, it was like the first like big, like just straight monster movie in a while that was good to me. What year was this? Oh, five. So this is around the time that 2000 to 2000 time period that I always bitch about, about PG-13 horror. So yeah, this was a fucking slap in the face probably compared to some other shit. Yeah. And most of our monster movies were like uh, some sort of boogeyman haunting a kid that's like a PG or PG-13 movie, or you would get like a big kaiju type movie. Yeah. You, like, weren't getting, like, the just visceral monster fucking attacking and murdering a small group of people somewhere, which is fun to watch. (laughs) When you see that the writers were aiming for Evil Dead 2 vibe, though, it really does kind of stick. It does. I'm not saying it is Evil Dead 2, you know, but, like, you can can tell where they're... I can see the direction they were coming from. Speaking of direction, John Gulliger, I hope I said his name right, he directed it. From what I can see, he directed just the Three Feast movies, really. Okay. So he hasn't done much, you know, past that of anything. I know his wife's in the movie and his dad. Huh. His wife's Harley mom. Okay. And his dad is the bartender. No shit. Who was actually like a famous Western actor back in the day. Yeah. He did all kinds of shit back in the day. So that was pretty cool. Cause there's not a whole lot of famous faces in this movie. Not really. I mean, you got Jason Mewes and, uh, what hot wheels is the, the kid from sex drive. I don't even want to begin to pretend that I know what sex drive is. So, oh, dude, that is a fucking hilarious movie. I hadn't seen it. <laughs> you see it. You like, I mean, you like Seth Green, right? Yes. Okay. Seth Green as an Amish guy fixing a sports car. Okay. <laughs> this sounds like that kind of like TV? hot rod kind of dumb. What is TV you speak of? It's fucking like the deleted scenes of him from that movie are better than the movie. When you said, do you like Seth Green? And I looked at you crazy. It took a minute because I was like, for some reason, I was picturing Tom Green. <laughs> I was like, is this a trick question? Oh, <laughs> uh, but anyways, I guess I should get on to the movie. It's got a really cool opening shot. I don't know how to explain it without you seeing it, but like the camera is kind of 
black and white and it's a tiny picture in the middle of the screen and it's kind of very few frames per second. Yeah, it's like a shitty projector. Yeah, like a thing. shitty projector. And you see a car hauling ass and get into a wreck and you don't really know what the fuck happens and it, it cuts to color as soon as the car gets in a wreck and I think the picture like fills the screen at that point. I don't remember. I know you got the, the shovel with the roadkill and then the wreck. And that's, yeah. And you don't know what's going on. And that's what's <laughs> so fun about the opening of this movie. Normally I introduce the cast members as they come up, but in this movie they have fucking phenomenal title cards. So I feel like I'm just going to go ahead and do them. And they pretty much come out as the title, you know, it, yeah. it pretty much introduces every character back to back in the movie. Yeah. It, it does this great thing where there was a, a time when one of our friends from back in the day used to walk up when he'd meet people and say, I want to fuck the queen of England. And you know who I'm talking about? And uh, at one time I toyed about like, I want to try to write a script. And it was like, I had this idea of him walking into work and like the double doors opening and you see all these cubicles and he just slams his fist down and goes, I'm going to fuck the queen of England. And then like have the title card thing. <laughs> and then this movie came out and took it all away from me. And I'm probably going to leave the actors names out for the most part, unless you feel like it's relevant to come up because they don't even have character names in the movie. It's the best part. They're like left for dead characters or something. Yeah. But a car pulls up at a bar and a guy gets out, two drunk girls bump into him. He's got his pool cue with him. And this is Bozo, and it says, job not likely, occupation, town jackass, life expectancy, dead by dawn. A little bit of nod there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And then we cut to Harley Mom as she's prepping to rob the bar, yep. right, and smoke at a joint. And it says, name, Harley Mom, fun fact, robbing bar in 10 minutes, life expectancy, wild card. Some of these are like kind of on the nose when you watch the movie. Oh, yeah. And then we get Hot Wheels playing the arcade machine, and it always like freeze frames for a second when the title card pops up, right? Yeah, this is my favorite one. Hot Wheels, job, selling fireworks to seventh graders, life expectancy. They wouldn't kill a cripple, would they? <laughs> I love that. And he's Hot Wheels because he's in a wheelchair. So if, yeah. you hadn't seen the movie, if you haven't seen this movie, it's fucking hilarious. got to see it. And then we got to one of my favorites, fucking Henry Rollins. He's playing coach, and he's making some argument about HP on the phone. He's like, Hewlett Packard. And it's funny because... Uh, <laughs> The director on Project Greenlight's in a Hewlett Packard jacket in every scene. So I'm assuming like his day job. Oh, okay. He probably worked at Hewlett Packard. He was trying to make his first movie. But it pops up, says coach, occupation, motivational speaker, reputation, the poor man's Tony Robbins, life expectancy, stay far, far away. I use that poor man's Tony Robbins anytime I watch a movie and somebody gives like a fucking speech that falls flat. I'm like, it's the poor man's Tony Robbins. Not okay. a Jesse originals from this. <laughs> We see grandma getting smashed and uh, Bozo's hitting on her. I don't yeah. know if he's for real, though, because he, he comes to her quite a few times with different things. Yeah. But it's name, grandma, fun fact, blue Mick Jagger, dot, 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 recently. <laughs> Life expectancy may be dead already. And I'm really, I'm naming these as fast as they pop up in the movie. Yeah. Then we see uh, Jason Muse prepping to play pool against Bozo, and it pops up and says, name, Jason Muse, occupation, actor. Life expectancy already surpassed expectations. <laughs> and I guess just because Kevin Smith set in from the dimension side with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, because they're all friends, you know, yeah. I'm assuming that's how Jason got in this movie as himself. Yes. And then we get, I'm going to say this guy's name because I fucking love him, but uh, Judah Friedlander playing fucking beer guy. He's <laughs> fucking hilarious in this movie. I remember when the movie first came out, MySpace was popular, not Facebook or, you know, they're just popular in different ways. And yeah. I used to follow him on MySpace. He was fucking hilarious the whole time. But um, pops up and it says, name, beer guy, occupation, beer guy, and part-time host at Red Lobster. Life expectancy, losers and dorks go first. He's both. Yep. 
<laughs> and he's talking to the fucking bartender about his modeling days. He's like, hold on, let me show you JC Penney's <laughs> springwear catalog. And he takes his hat off and he does the fucking blue steel. <laughs> and he's like, it's my modeling face. You can't tell with all these clothes on. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you can't tell. Cause I don't have my modeling clothes. Yeah. It's like very Napoleon Dynamite-ish. And the bartender's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and bartender, that's the director's dad. Yeah. And uh, fun fact, shot four times, stabbed six times, bit by one scroll. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to be able to get that one out. And uh, life expectancy, horrifying death in 70 minutes. I clocked it. It's 70 minutes. <laughs> it's 70 minutes. <laughs> so I fucking love that. We see Tuffy smoking. And uh, it says occupation career waitress. Job, single mom, life expectancy, expects nothing from life. And she just looks down and out and depressed, right? Yeah. And then we see the bartender walk up to the only black guy in the movie, right? And this is a horror film. He's going to have to go pretty early. Yeah, yeah. If we follow the rules. <laughs> and it pops up, says, name vet. Fun fact, has never had fun. <laughs> life expectancy, don't ask, don't tell. And bartender's like, Semper Fi. Yeah. <laughs> to him when he fucking gives him his drink. Then we cut to beer guy in the basement dropping a keg and he's trying to burn one in the basement, right? And he's got the window cracked open, which that window comes into play later. So it's a little bit of foreshadowing, right? Yeah. And then we see boss man, like, you know, get the hell out of here, right? And uh, he takes his fucking joint from him and he smokes it. He's like, it's goddamn dirt weed. The yeah. fucking, the way he says every line, like the way he delivers them, just so like kind of funny, like fake Southern, you know? <laughs> we've all run it well, okay in this part of the country <laughs> we've all met this kind of character though <laughs> yeah um he's really kind of like boss hog like if you're making fun of boss hog yep. from <laughs> hell yeah but uh name boss man vibe mean stoned and horny life expectancy regular or extra crispy <laughs> <laughs> i'm almost through these guys but this is like one of my favorite parts of the movie <laughs> um and then we see what's honey pie walks up to coach to serve him a drink right and she starts hitting on him. He asks her if he can buy her a drink after work and asks her when she's getting off. She says she's about to get off. And I know he goes to pay his tab at the bar and his wedding ring falls out. <laughs> the bartender's like, guess I'll keep that tab open. Yeah. But for her, it pops up says name, honey pie, occupation, actress, singer, dancer, model. Fun fact, dying to get out of town. Life expectancy may get her wish. <laughs> I've never seen the sequels to the film, but she's a big part of the sequels, right? She is in both the sequels and name a sequel that you like better than the first. Okay. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. The sequels make Poltergeist three look like Terminator two. Oh, they are that bad. I think I'm gonna have to watch them, <laughs> but, um, we see Tuffy needing whiskey before she goes upstairs and boss man's going upstairs and like kind of nodding bartender knows what's going on. He feels sorry for her. Gives her that shot. It's a double. Unlike his dick size, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but Jason Mewes, you know, shooting pool with Bozo, and he accidentally bumps into Hot Wheels, which I was wondering if maybe that was kind of set up, right? Like it was part of a scam. Yeah. And when he turns around a bitch at Hot Wheels, Bozo greases the cue ball so that when Jason Mewes turns around and hits it, he scratches. And he's like, how the hell could that happen? That's impossible. And uh, Bozo takes his money, challenges him to a rematch. He's like, God damn, no. <laughs> I, can, I love this line. Bozo's like, crap, a damn. <laughs> Everybody's accents are fucking fantastic because they're supposed to be in Texas, right? Somewhere. Somewhere in the desert, southwest U.S. I'm sure some people in Texas are angry at the accents, but they're fucking funny for the movie. But uh, 
boss man's upstairs fucking railing in a toughie doggy style while she's smoking a cigarette looking bored as fuck <laughs> well, well first she we we see her son and she puts the headphones oh, on yeah, him yeah, she's I like watch, him. watch your show blah 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 um do we get a title card on oh him? yeah it pops up and it says name cody occupation tax break <laughs> skill can fit in the tight spaces life expectancy a wonderful full life uh-huh <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah then we cut to uh boss man railing her doggy style on the bed she's smoking a cigarette looks bored to hell and he's like yeah so it's quite obvious that this is a common occurrence right, like, right. waitressing is a shit job as it is to begin with but damn is there really no other place her and this kid can go <laughs> and he's like Act like you feel it. <laughs> Shit fire. <laughs> Who's your favorite new kid? Wait, wrong movie. <laughs> ben Affleck, though. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but uh, Bozo's yelling. He wants somebody else to play pool with him. He, he wants some action, right? Yeah. And then the door fucking burst open and Hero pops in and he gives this awesome fucking heroic speech about these things with knives like Ginsu and I got their fucking head and I can kill them. We got to, you know, board up these doors and all this. And when it pops up, it says name, hero, occupation, kicking ass, life expectancy, pretty fucking good. <laughs> but he gives his badass fucking speech and he's taking charge and he's like, any questions? Who the hell are you? I'm the guy that's going to save your ass. And then he's instantly eaten through the fucking window. Like something buster <laughs> like bites his head off. He shoots a gun. I want to say bartender shoots the gun too, because he pulled a gun on him because he has a gun. Somebody's bullet goes upstairs and fucking hits boss man in the foot, right? Yes, right <laughs> through his fucking foot. But when he gets his fucking head ripped off, just like blood and gore just fucking sprays everywhere all over Honey Pie. Yeah. <laughs> and then the heroine bust in and we get another title card immediately. Name, heroine, occupation, wears tank top, totes shotgun, saves the day. Life expectancy, hopefully better than the last hero. <laughs> and she's want to know where her fucking husband is and she's kind of taking charge too. Yep. And then Harley mom comes in to rob the place. She busts in out of the bathroom because she doesn't know what's going on. And a little monster fucking goes to the window, slashes her fucking leg off instantly. So we're seeing those fingernails like Ginsu knives. Yeah. And these little guys, they're like a foot and a half tall. And the little <laughs> ones are fucking tiny and they are they're like critters. They're fast. <laughs> yeah. And Jason Mewes is trying to figure out what the fuck's happening. His face just immediately gets ripped <laughs> off. It looks awesome, doesn't it? It does. Oh, one uh, fucking practical effects in this movie. Top yeah. notch. Yeah. And then uh, the little fucker starts fucking the taxidermy on the wall, straight in the mouth, going to town on it. Yep. And uh, that is just, oh, you, if, you, if you haven't seen this and you're listening to this to find out about it, oh, just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> These are horny fuckers. <laughs> but they knock him down, right? And he falls in the cooler and they shut the cooler and they lock him in. And uh, then the big one pulls Hero's body out the window, right? Yep. And uh, Heroin grabs his hand and pulls his wedding band off. So... Let's assume they're married now, right? Yeah. I love how badass these two are, or at least appear to be, and how it's never explained. Yeah. <laughs> I love how nothing's explained in this movie. Some that, people actually bitch about that for some see, reason. And that is one of my favorite things about the opening of this movie is it just hits the ground fucking running because the title cards are like, here's your backstory. That's as much backstory as you get. And then shit is already hitting the fan. You don't know what's going on. And it's so much fun. But while all this is going on, beer guys trying to use the payphone. To call anyone who kicks ass <laughs> by hero's orders, but the phone got shot during the process, right? Yeah. Boss man's yelling through the hole downstairs. He wants to know if he's got a gun on him, right? And he's like, who the fuck shot me? <laughs> and he comes downstairs and uh, they show him the monster head. It's definitely one for the wall. They decide now's a good time to lock the place down 
and Tuffy starts panicking because Cody's missing. Yeah. So she runs upstairs because she's stuck up in a closet when the gunshots went off, right? Yeah. He's not in the closet. Dun, dun, dun. So she starts freaking out and then he pops up because he's hiding in a tight space behind her by the wall, right? <laughs> and she's all excited and then a fucking monster comes to the wall, grabs him and fucking swallows him whole and then spits this nasty ass fucking green shit all over beer guy who's in the hallway and it just keeps going. And then like two fucking burst. Oh yeah. It is. It is a lot. It, <laughs> it puts the exorcist to shame. It's, you can't do that on television, but it's, it's horizontal yeah. instead of vertical. But then it's, and it's also cause it's this nasty vomit and it's got like already has like maggots in it and like chunks of shit in it. It's, Oh, it's bad. And then a shoe flies out and I'm not sure if it's hero shoe or Cody's shoe, but a shoe flies out and fucking hits beer guy with it. <laughs> But Tuffy goes downstairs, and of course, she's obviously bummed out. And um, you see heroin looking at her wedding ring, and she's thinking about something, right? So obviously, there's a kid involved here. Yeah. Beer guys running around all over the bar, fucking puking everywhere. Uh, the slime basically throughout the rest of the movie starts making him decay. His skin's rotten. Yeah. His fucking hair is falling out. His eyes turn a fucked up color. He's got like maggots coming out of everything, like nose, ears, mouth. Yeah, he's uppercase fucked. <laughs> He has great lines in this movie, and I feel like I'm not going to give his lines enough justice because I focus on the coach line so much, but he's like, fuck you, I'm going to the hospital, and heroin just straight up kung fu kicks his fucking ass and lays him out on the ground. Yeah, and I do have to point out, it sounds like it's like rushing through to the action beats with the way, like, just listening to it, and it's not, because I don't think we've broke the 15-minute mark no. in the movie yet. Like. <laughs> This is the fastest paced hour and a half long movie I've ever seen. And it's fast paced in a good way. There's like no downtime and there's nothing rushed in it. Yeah. But the phone's obviously busted. Their cell phones don't work because they're in the middle of a fucking desert in the middle of nowhere. But boss man's got a shortwave radio upstairs. So if they could just get to that where we've seen Cody get eaten, <laughs> then they can maybe call for help. They lock the place down. Bozo and Hot Wheels watch Honey Pie change. <laughs> Cause she's got like blood and gore all over her boobs and stuff. And she's fucking catches them staring at her. Yeah. And, uh, then they decide to move the bodies down to the basement. So they pick up, um, what do they have? They have Harley mom. Yep. And vet. Right. Yeah. And then they take them downstairs to the basement. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The bodies it's down just there. them too. Anybody else that was dead got yanked out. Yeah. And then they decide they got to kill the little fucker in the cooler. And they use an absurd amount of ammo from multiple guns <laughs> just to kill the little one. Tuffy actually goes ape shit and fucking after they've blown holes in it, doesn't she shove the shotgun in there and go to town on it? I don't remember, but it's, it's over the top. And then coach decides to stand up and give a fucking self-help speech. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, which is, it's not the first one in the movie. I was fixing to say it's one of many. <laughs> Cause <laughs> he actually did it earlier. He's tried to help, uh, beer guy and the bartender's like, Hey, Hey, don't give him that shit. He's a cool guy. He's in here all the time. Open tab. You know? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I fucking, I love Henry Rollins from the old black flag days. He's done some movies like he's funny and everything I've seen. And this is, this is his best by far, but he has a brilliant idea to show species superiority <laughs> because they, <laughs> he says the sin of the dead might drive them back. Right? Yeah. Think outside the box. So he picks up the dead little one with a pull cue, <laughs> holds it out the window. <laughs> Heroin doesn't want to open the, like rip the boards off the window. He's like, just one second and I'll save your life. Yeah. <laughs> and he holds it out like it's a flag and he waves it and he fucking, I don't remember if he drops it or they yank it off the pool cue, but they figure out that it's a family and that was their baby yep. <laughs> that they just murdered. So they eat the baby. 
and then start fucking and shit out more monsters. Yeah, and it happens about that fast. Oh, yeah, I might have actually <laughs> went too slow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, these things literally just eat. And fuck. Right. That, that is it. <laughs> and boss man wants to know how they ran into these things, right? So heroin explains how they were driving. They fucking hit one on the car, decapitated it, right? The family showed up and they had to fucking run for their lives. And it was right after they dropped their daughter, Charlie, off at the grandparents' house, right? Yeah. And then, you know, they're on the run and they made it to this bar, okay? It's roadkill revenge. And as far as the creatures go, at this point in the movie, I do want to point out that the big ones haven't been revealed. Um, they're covered unbeknownst to us. The little one is all natural when it's running around inside, but it's moving around so fast you don't get to see much. And the big one basically looks like a cow skull with hide around it as a robe. Like pelts on it. And And it's huge and hunched over. Yeah. I always kind of got like a pumpkin head vibe. Well, uh, (laughs) this is going to sound retarded, but uh, the fifth element, the the big robot looking things that kind of waddle and his finger turns into the key. Yeah. The, the shape of the body overall, the mass feels like that when they have the hide and stuff on you. Yeah. But, uh, Bozo is like interrogating grandma at this point because she should know shit because she's old and seen things, (laughs) legends, rumors, things like that. I don't know anything. And, uh, I still think she's seen this shit before, man. I know that that's actually brought up a bit on the internet. So, okay. I haven't seen the sequels though. So I kind of steered away from that. See, and it may go into that, but I blocked those out of my mind. But uh beer guy has this speech about how, you know, they can just, they probably got help on the way already. They can get some dudes with some can do attitudes. They're in route. And he's like out the window <laughs> and his fucking eyes ripped out. Right. <laughs> and honey pie has changed clothes at this point, but then fucking blood starts spraying out of his head and shit and goes all over again. Right. So she yeah. gets, she gets fucking ruined again. And, uh, one of them tries to yank coach out through the wall and they just pull his pants off and he's just standing there in like his tidy whities and his like fucking misfits and black flag tattoos and shit. <laughs> and, uh, Somebody has some pink hot pants he can put on, right? So he looks ridiculous for the rest of the movie. Well, well they're like jammy pants. <laughs> it was Honey Pie's pants, I think, or Tuffy. Somebody said, I got some pajamas in the back. Yeah, you would expect these to have the uh, the attached bunny slippers <laughs> at the bottom. They're that kind of pink. He looks fantastic in them, okay? He does. He is unfazed. <laughs> but they figure out that their ammo situation sucks. They don't have that much ammo. It's because they shot in the fucking cooler too much. <laughs> right. And we figure out that Honey Pie doesn't understand how a gun works. <laughs> Oh my god because <laughs> she's trying to cram the bullet through the barrel <laughs> i don't remember who catches her it's boss man or bartender but like give me that <laughs> it, it, it's boss man because he's like why, why don't you leave that part to us honey or something like that but they have to come up with a plan to get to the shortwave radio so bozo coach and bartender go upstairs grandma starts explaining how they need to act less like a meal and stay still she's just sitting at the bar pounding drinks yeah and uh they get up there and they have like a clever plan where like bartender and coach open the door and let bozo in and then lock it so that way the keys don't end up in the belly of a monster right yeah and that was heroin's idea because she's kind of taking charge a bit now that her husband came in took charge and died (laughs) but bozo makes it into this closet and he finds a shortwave radio and he starts making an sos call a monster attacks the wall and yanks the radio out of the wall and he runs to the fucking door like let me out let me out and coach has an oops moment because he breaks the fucking key off in the door yep and uh, I think heroin runs up and yanks bartender's earring out and uses it to pick the lock really quick. So they get the door open. Damn. Is that this early in the movie or does it just go that fast? It goes that fast. <laughs> okay. And the bozo dives to the door and the monster comes in after him and they slam the door on his fucking cock and balls and it gets cut off and falls. <laughs> Somebody says monster cock. <laughs> there's a monster cock. I think it's the bartender's like, there's a monster cock in the door. <laughs> and then the coach is like, 
if they can't reproduce, we're one step closer to winning. <laughs> and that's the thing is he's so serious and it's so like bad Vegas fucking I paid three ninety nine for this this speech type thing and his delivery is like that through the whole damn movie. And I would have never thought that Henry Rollins could act this well. And I'm not saying it's like an art house movie fucking acting like he's doing a drama, but he's delivering these lines fucking perfect. There's a newer movie than this where he's a recovering alcoholic that I can't remember the name of that was really, really good. This isn't the one where he's Kane, is it? Maybe. Because I want to see that one. I haven't seen it yet. I kept watching the trailers. I showed it to everybody. I was like, I think he's Kane. And then one of the trailers flat out ended up saying it, but I haven't seen it yet. I remember he's like invincible. Yeah. He's Kane from the Bible and his daughter got taken or something. Yes. Yeah. You need to see that shit. It's really good. (laughs) Where do we cover that one? Religious films. Oh, Jesus. Hey, (laughs) this guy's got jokes. But yeah, I'm trying to remember like he gives this fucking speech, right? Trying to get everybody pumped. And Buzz is like, dude, are you gay? (laughs) And what's funny is, is when he says that he doesn't say anything in response. He just kind of slumps up against the banister. <laughs> like I should shut the fuck up. <laughs> but the monsters at this point start breaking through all their barricades, right? Like getting into the bar. Yeah. And beer guy has an idea about the basement hatch that we saw, you know, when he's smoking pot earlier and he could use it as an escape route to get to a car to get them all out. And they decide that they could get one of the corpses, use it as food slash bait and hot wheels. Apparently doesn't make explosives. Which we had the throwaway line in its title card about selling fireworks to seventh graders, right? Hang on, hang on. Before we get into that, I do want to point out that when the uh, when the monster's junk gets cut off by the door, it ends up falling down the stairs and is under Hot Wheels oh, yeah. and is still trying to hump on its own. And Hot Wheels is like spinning around trying to see it. And somebody ends up stomping on it and the testicles explode and the, uh, the semen goes everywhere. Cause, <laughs> it's pretty graphic. Yeah. Well, because something ends up there here shortly. <laughs> I remember all these scenes being in theaters, though, I swear. And they may have been. Yeah. I've only seen the DVD. But yeah, so they're they're going to use, they're going to set bait, right? Uh, Hot Wheels is going to make some explosives. Heroin's going to, is she supposed to go out to get the car, I think? Yeah, yeah, she's supposed to run out the basement window. And Coach wants to accompany her on this great journey. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, fuck. And Because uh, yeah, he has to get the keys out of the semen. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was getting at. <laughs> and he, uh, he won't take a gun, because Boston's trying to get him a gun. And he picks up like a machete or something. And uh, he's like, this isn't a time to make like a political stance, son. And yeah. he's like, this doesn't need reloading. Somebody's <laughs> read the Max Brooks zombie survival guide, okay? <laughs> but it's a really good line coming from him. Yeah. And uh, they do a Donkey Kong setup for the fucking cakes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and ladders and stuff. Yeah. And Bozo even says he's like, just like Donkey Kong. Right. <laughs> but uh, Bozo and Bossman drag a body upstairs. They get Harley Mom, right? And Coach and Heroin are waiting in the basement to prep to run. And Hot Wheels has a plug because he's made some explosives and I guess he applies power, right? And yeah, they go, that's, they that, go boom. Yep, that's all they got to do is plug it in. We find out Harley Mom's not dead as she grabs Bozo and says, help me. And Boss Man's like, we got to go home with the plan and he sacrifices her. Or just, he says he's going to sacrifice her. And then something grabs her by the head, yanks her outside and drags her and starts to face fuck her. I think she even spits out a bunch of cum, right? Yep. It's pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it is fucked up. But when it drags her and is pulling her out and away, they lose grip of the extension cord. So right. it's flying from downstairs up the stairs. But they've got a shop light up there that's got a plug on it. And they're trying to get it plugged in while she's getting face fucked. And it's by one of the little ones. Yeah, yeah. And uh, man, that is some fucked up shit. And, uh, but yeah, she, she go boom. 
And it happens just as fast as I just said it. <laughs> it but the, yeah, they get a plugged in blower up and then Bossman and Bozo get into a fight because Bozo's not happy with murdering this poor woman, right? Yep. Con man with a conscience. He's one of the characters that has a decent like character development role throughout the movie, I feel like. The reform cool guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wrong genre. <laughs> but coach and heroin make a run for it. Great men will write about my bravery. <laughs> He's so serious. He's dead serious. <laughs> and heroin tries to make uh, distractions. So she's like shooting the shotgun, eat me motherfuckers or whatever. No. Uh, so the coach can get to the car. Bozo and boss man continue to struggle upstairs and something jumps up behind Bozo and scares him and he shoots and it's the fucking heroin. Right. Yep. And she's shot, falls down and instantly gets eaten by the monsters. Bozo grabbed her necklace that had the wedding ring on it when she was getting yanked out though. So he's got that. And boss man's like, now we both have a secret. Yep. And you know, everybody downstairs figures out what's going on. Tuffy gets really sad because she kind of bonded with heroin already. Yeah. And grandma just grabs some booze and runs to the beer cooler. <laughs> so she's going to wait it out. Tuffy now stands up and she starts giving a fucking awesome heroic pep speech. And her entire demeanor of her character is changed. Like even the way she's delivering lines and everything changes and it pops up and says name heroin too." Occupation, childless mother. Fun fact, dealing with the loss fairly well. Life expectancy, let's all hope for the best this time. And see, that's what's so good about that, because when she starts the speech, you're, you're yelling at the TV or whatever, and like, this is so out of character. Shouldn't she be mourning the loss of her child? And it pops up the new title card, and it's like, fuck you. We know what you're thinking. We're aware. <laughs> uh, but boss man, he's pretty hurt. You know, he's been shot in the foot and he's been running around being pretty fucking helpful the whole movie. He could have just been like a piece of shit ordering people and he didn't. Yeah. Right. Well, now when they get when him and Bozo get into it upstairs, he gets stabbed in the foot, too. And I don't know if Bozo stabs him in the same wound or if it's the other foot. I didn't even catch him getting stabbed. Yeah. So um, when he's back down, when he's laying down, I think both of his feet are fucked at this point. Yeah, but he just plops it on the couch and he starts giving a speech about it. They're making too much racket and uh, they're being so loud they wouldn't even notice his ass sitting there. And then he gets eaten alive from the floor through the couch, right? Was he on a couch or on the floor? He might have been laying on the floor. You're right. But yeah, you do see a hand come right through him like chest burster stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it yanks a bit and the floor starts caving in. Of course, Hot Wheels wheelchair starts to roll in. Bozo, I don't know if I said it or not, they're brothers. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So Bozo scoops his brother up and lays him down on the pool table, right? Yep. Saves his life. And uh, Honey Pie starts having a panic attack and they start arguing about like, did the coach make it? I think he did. And they go to peek outside and then you see the monsters charging full speed, holding them as a battering ram and ramming his head in the fucking door and killing him. Some of this shit, like we're laughing at it because we're the, that kind of audience to someone who's not used to seeing this kind of shit. It's like, oh my God. Or to some people, it's like, this is trash, but it's done so seriously. It's not like comedic, like Evil Dead 2. Like even him coming in with the battering ram, you only get a shot through the two doors, like the sliver. You can see his head coming. You don't, you barely see the monsters holding them. So it's not the shit we are describing is not slapsticky to hardcore horror fans. It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I want to get across here. We were definitely the intended target audience of this film. You're damn right. And on paper, a lot of this stuff probably wouldn't read. Well, you could see what yeah. Wes Craven on script, you know, reading the script was like, ah, oh, it's kind of a shitty script. It's a poor attempt at evil dead too. And even us saying it, if you haven't seen the movie might not be doing it justice, but when you see the pacing, you see the ensemble cast. You see the special effects. It just fucking all comes together in this movie. The stars align. Yeah, you don't get time to take a breath. And if it's funny to you, you don't stop laughing. If it's, oh, my God, to you, you don't get a chance to, to look away. 
And uh, let's just say it, it's lightning in a bottle again. <laughs> <laughs> but the monsters start trying to break in hardcore now, and they use the Donkey Kong setup to roll the kegs down, right? Yep. So one of the kegs rolls down the ladder and hits the monster, and they shoot it with a shotgun. It's spraying, it knocks them over, and they just start rolling more kegs. So the monsters dodge the second keg because they don't want it to happen again. And when it rolls past them, honey pie spills out, and she tries to run, and she's dizzy as fuck from spinning in this keg. Well, that one's a barrel. It's yeah, actually a, barrel, a big, yeah. big wooden barrel. Very Donkey Kong-esque at this point, right? Yeah. And she dizzily runs to Beer Guy's truck, cranks it. They all get excited because she's going to save the day. Pops a U and gets the fuck out of there. <laughs> yeah, she does. Um, the monsters break in, and they try to fight it with everything they got. They're stabbing it. They're shooting it. Um, they're hitting it with pull cues. There's a bear trap done on one of them's face. Yeah. Uh, they don't have very much ammo. And uh, there's a poorly manned Molotov cocktail. <laughs> because I don't know if I, I kind of at the beginning said the beer guy decays, but he is fucked up at this point. His eyes missing. There's like maggots brewing in there. He looks like a zombie and he's trying to walk with this Molotov cocktail that he barely lights and he can barely walk with it. And one, one thing I want to say about him real quick, because he's got kind of a makeshift eye patch earlier on in the movie from when he got puked on. And at one point, uh, him and honey pie are by themselves. And he's like, um, she's like, let me take a look at that. And she pulls it up and it's just maggots falling yeah. out of it. And he's like, is it healing? Does it look better? And she's like, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, and like I, gagging the whole time. I think she might have run off and puke, and then Bozo's like, "You should have been a nurse. Can you mend broken heart?" Yeah, <laughs> so fucking. So. That's like a terrible line, but it just—I don't know—it it fits when he says it. Sorry, I just had to bring that up. But yeah, beer guy runs in with his Molotov cocktail, and he gets his fucking head popped off. <laughs> Well, that's because the creature comes up right in front of him. And at this point, there's no coverage. This is when we actually get to see the full yeah, creature. He, he rips out of it and, yeah. and like screams. And he like claps his hands together on uh, Beer Guy's head. And his head fucking explodes. <laughs> and yeah, it looks awesome when it pops. And Bartender starts having a fucking heart attack. He's not even dying from the monsters. He's dying from old age. And Buzz is like, don't you fucking die on me, old man. <laughs> like, you're having a fucking heart attack now? <laughs> and then Tuffy starts to beat the shit out of the monster, dives on it punches it in the face over and over again, and then shoves her fucking fist down its throat until it chokes to death. Well, she takes the butt of the shotgun and for like what feels like three minutes of the fucking movie, <laughs> knocks out all of its fucking teeth. Yeah, yeah, So they can't bite her arm off. Yeah, yeah, she beats the fuck out of it and then chokes it to death. And she's literally like, choke on this motherfucker yeah, while she's got the like, hand on the throat. Like up to her fucking armpit. <laughs> and the, the poster of this film is her face to face with the monster. And when you watch Project Greenlight, like after they do the script, idea and pitch it to ben and matt and wes and everybody yeah they're like and i've designed the poster it's gonna have you know our our, our final girl face to face with the monster we're gonna leave nothing to mystery <laughs> and i'm like well, these guys knew what they wanted to make and they fucking got to make it are the collection and collector movies any good i've seen both of them i remember i remember more from uh the collector the first okay. one it's one of those that if saw didn't exist it would be so much better because it kind of feels like oh this just feels like saw uh, well, they wrote both of those and then they wrote most of the Saw sequels. Exactly. So, these guys actually made a decent little career of themselves in the film. But uh, we're left with Tuffy, Bozo and Hot Wheels. They go out to Bozo's car and they ride off into the sunrise. We saw Tuffy's character develop and then Bozo yeah. kind of turned into a hero throughout the movie as well. He wants to go ahead and get the hero and heroine's daughter, Charlie, right? Yeah. And let her know what happened because of he shot the mom. Well, he's a little huffy. About it, because she's the one who's like, this is what we're going to go do. And he's like, ah, yeah. But yeah, he's like, OK, you lost a child. Let's go get you a child. <laughs> <laughs> but they ride off into the sunset. The end. No, no, it's not. <laughs> Fucking grandma comes running out of the beer cooler 
and is instantly eaten alive by a monster. Well, yeah, she's like, well, she's like peeking out. And yeah. you see the arms come from around the door. And yeah, she gone. And uh, I guess the end. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's an abrupt ending right there. Um, There's no mystery in this movie. You get what you're going in to see. You get a small room being sieged by a bunch of monsters with a lot of gore and a lot of violence and a lot of funny lines in it. Yeah, and a lot of uh, monster sexuality. And the only lull in the movie is the scene where Honey Pie is trying to stick the bullet in the gun. That's like the only slow part of the movie, and it's like maybe three minutes. <laughs> well, her sticking the bullet in the gun is not three minutes. It's just no, them, no, 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 no. <laughs> but that scene, yeah. They're, they're trying to see how much ammo they have between all of them. So Yeah, that's the only time to breathe in that movie. It is fucking wild. Fun ride. No oh, yeah. bored to watch it. Yeah, and they even they do they do the thing where the frame rate is like weird when the monsters attack where like there's frames missing. And most movies that do that I get real pissed off because it seems like a cop out. Yeah. But in this one it works. Yeah. It really does help create the tension and the off kilterness. And it's because everything is so fast paced in the movie and then like the the score is very fast paced with it when it happens too. And I don't know, it's just really well put together. And it's interesting that it came from like a reality TV show to make the movie as well. Yeah. I mean, it's probably the only movie on this podcast that we're going to talk about that was made <laughs> on a reality TV show documentary, right? I fucking hope so, man. But now we got to go into a slightly different kind of monster, a little bit more sci-fi and a little bit more of a reboot with 1986, The Fly. Yep, this is uh, definitely going down the uh, the sci-fi wormhole. But uh, for anyone who's seen this movie, um, watching what Veronica and Seth go through, that's fucking horrific, okay? Um, now I thought I'd actually sit and watch the movie all the way through before. And when I sat and watched it with the wife for the podcast again, I was like, I've never actually sat and watched it all the way through. I've only seen it in pieces and, uh, she wasn't that into it, but it's just a sad movie when it's it all said and done. It is fucking gut wrenching. Um, and it's a classic. I mean, I grew up watching this one. I watched it in the late eighties and the early nineties. <laughs> Fucking Jeff Goldblum basically playing the same character he plays in Jurassic Park. <laughs> now, here's what's fucked up, man. Watching the movie again, the very first time he's talking at the scene in the beginning, I'm like, at apartments.com. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. This is the future. <laughs> no, I watched the movie and then saw an apartments.com commercial the very next day when I was hanging out with the kids. Oh, uh, that is awesome. I didn't know you'd never actually seen the movie. I had seen, I had seen all of it, but not in one straight sitting. This was a weird one. Um, there weren't that many monster movies Josh could come up with in his head, or I had already called some of them. <laughs> so I actually kind of picked movies for Josh. Yeah. I gave him a list, and he kind of picked through them. And so it's really neat that I got you to watch this classic that you hadn't actually seen before all the way through. Yeah, yeah. That was definitely cool. But we've got uh, just a little bit of backstory on this one. Um, of course, the original short story was published in Playboy in like 56 or 57. It was real quick right after that that they did the original movie. Had no clue it was in Playboy. I knew it was a short story. Yeah. Um, and this is all, most of this that, that I'm spewing here is from the special edition DVD. So if the guys who made the movie are telling it wrong, go bitch at them. Um, <laughs> but at any rate, um, so we had the original and then the idea came up for a reboot. Um, the rights belong to Fox. And the guys that are working on it are like, well, what can we do? Because in the original, we ended up with a man with a fly head and a fly with a man head. Yeah. And it was kind of dumb. And it followed the story of the wife of the scientist, not really because the, both the creatures couldn't talk really right. at, at that point. And it was kind of lame. Help me. Yeah. I want to say that I read that this movie harkens back more to the short story than to the original fly movie. Because well, no, they're a year apart, right? Well, the original 
the 58 movie held very close to the sh- short story. Okay. That was part of the problem was how do we modernize this? How do we change it? Because the guy that can't emote with the stupid uh, fly head was just kind of, <laughs> and they show clips of it and shit because I've never actually watched the, the original. Oh, not, really? Yeah, I just know it's got Vincent Price in it. And I know the help me scene and he crushes it with the rock and it's yeah. like, she crushed, it, crushed him with a press. You crushed him with a rock. How is that any different? In your research, did you see uh, Vincent Price's response to Jeff Goldblum and David Cronenberg when he watched the movie? Didn't he shit on it? Oh, I wish I had the quote. He said it was a good movie, but like he had to stop watching it at a certain point. Oh, like it, okay, it, like okay. it got a little, like it was good, and then it got too graphic for him. Basically, he couldn't ha- couldn't handle the space bug. I, I don't know what it was. <laughs> I mean, Vincent Price did lots and lots of horror movies. Oh yeah, but they were different times back then. And yeah. this was honestly, this is one of the first really gross movies I remember watching as a kid. <laughs> so Fox was on board, but they weren't going to fund it. Yeah, um, they said, "Come up with the money, make your movie, we'll distribute it." And uh, the movie makers ended up going to Mel Brooks of all fucking people. When I found this out, I was shocked. And uh, so they got the money. He hated the script. There was some rewrites and all this shit. I'm not going to go into all that. And uh, they said, well, who's going to direct this thing? And they're like, well, we want Cronenberg. And they're like, well, Cronenberg's busy doing Total Recall, which I'm like, huh? And I had to go look all this shit up. So apparently what was going on at the time, Cronenberg was supposed to be doing Total Recall with Dino De Laurentiis. And uh, so they got this guy, Robert Bierman, and like fresh director. Like, okay, so this guy's going to pour his heart and soul into it. All right, we're ready to go. Dude's daughter gets killed in an accident in South Africa. He's like, I got to vamp out, guys. I don't know if I can do your movie. And Mel Brooks said, I'll give you three months. We really want you. You're attached to the project. And after three months, he's like, I have too much going on in my life that I can't dedicate to this. And and he was actually under contract. They could have forced him to make the movie. Mel Brooks said, fuck it. I understand you go do what you want to do. Well, around the same time, fucking Cronenberg and Dino were button heads <laughs> and ended up, uh, Cronenberg walked off the project and I never knew that he was originally supposed to be the director for fucking total recall. That was fucking wild to me. I didn't know until I was researching for this film. Okay. Um, it's funny how many episodes we have where we, it's a movie in the eighties and it's like, and Dino was button heads with somebody. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to keep happening. And, uh, so that's how we ended up with Cronenberg at the helm. And uh, another one I, guy I want to mention is uh, Chris Wallace. And I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, just because it's spelt weird to me because I know good English. He is the guy who actually created the different stages of the transformation into Brundlefly and the space bug and who also created the gremlins okay. and worked at ILM and did the was one of the uncredited crew members on the Nazi face melting scene. OK, so we get back to that. too. <laughs> I do want to point out that Josh is sticking with tradition and he has a Brundlefly t-shirt on right now and it's fucking badass. <laughs> and, uh, and I do have to point out this was my complete happenstance because most of the time I, it's like my good luck charm. If I have a shirt that fits with what we're recording, that's what I try to try to wear. And uh, this was, we are not endorsed, sponsored by Loot Crate and Loot Fright in any way, if you guys are listening. <clears throat> Anyways, um, so just happens Friday before recording, Loot Fright box comes in and there's this fucking fly shirt in it. And I'm like, this is great. And um, it's a little seasoned at the moment, but whatever. By seasoned, he means his cat pissed on it and he had to wash it. And cat, <laughs> brand new shirt and cat pisses on it. Shouldn't have left it on the couch, but whatever. So um, we open at the Bartok party. 
straight into Seth telling Veronica that he's working on something that's going to change the world and that she should come back to his lab. And uh, I am not going to try to do Jeff Goldblum <laughs> the way he fucking talks and shit. And I didn't note a bunch of dialogue just because of that, because there's no doing it. No, there's he's the no only one, one that can fucking do it, it. It's funny that you say that, though. Did you know that Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum were dating in real life when they made this movie? Well, before they started filming or happened during filming? Before they had made that Transylvania, whatever the fuck movie with it's a phone number area code or whatever. Okay. And he wanted her to be in the movie. And Cronenberg's like, I don't know if I want a real life couple. And oh, he talked her into that's it. That's right. That's right. But it's because he did all of his, his practicing of his lines he would do with her. And I read that Cronenberg had to get on to her because she would start talking like Jeff Goldblum on some of her line delivery. And it's because they ran everything together and he just talks so uniquely. Yeah. One other quick thing as far as casting goes, um, at one point in pre-production, um, an exec at Fox um, was talking to the writers, which I didn't fucking note. My bad. And it's like, who are you thinking for the lead? And it's like, we're going to get Jeff Goldblum. And the executive from Fox is like, this is the worst idea I've ever heard in my professional career. But if that's what you want to do, you go ahead and do that. So make your bed and lie in it. Yeah. Go kick rocks. Whoever that guy was. So as mentioned, you know, we've got Jeff Goldblum and as Seth Brundle and then Gina Davis as a uh, Veronica with a weird last name. I didn't, I, what is it? It's a uh, coffee. I don't know. It never gets said in the movie as far as I know. She's Ronnie. Yeah. Ronnie. That's what we got to do. So um, anyways, so drinks at the party. He, He's telling her to come back to the lab and she's really not into it. But Seth's like giving chase like do, 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 do. and quickly we cut to her driving his drunk ass home. <laughs> so they go back to the lab and uh, drunk Seth just hops on the piano and starts playing. And <laughs> Veronica looks around and is like, uh, I think this was a bad idea. And he turns around. and He's like, well, it's too late. You've already seen them. I can't let you leave here alive. And in <laughs> reference to the pods. And uh, so he shows her the telepods and uh, the computer control system. And uh, it's like, give me a personal item and a piece of jewelry, blah, blah, blah. She's like, I don't wear jewelry. So she takes off a stocking and he like creepily sniffs it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he goes and puts it in the pod and teleports it into the other pod and uh, gives it back to her. And she's like, you see this aha moment on her face. And with her back to him, she whips out a tape recorder and hits her cord and puts it back in her pocket. Starts questioning like crazy. And uh, we quickly find out that the way he's able to pull all this off is his project's small. So the, what is it, Bartok, I think. Um, yeah, Bartok doesn't see a lot of money missing. And the guys that are smarter than him are so compartmentalized that they don't know what they're doing. And by the time it funnels to him, he keeps his project going. Right, because he has different companies make different pieces. And then he just assembles it, right? Exactly. So an alarm goes off and it's the, the tape recorder needing to have the tape flipped over. And at this point, she does it right in front of Seth. And Seth's like, whoa, 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 hang on. This was not an interview. I don't want any of this out there. And she's like, well, you knew I was a journalist, blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, 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 get the fuck out. And uh, he doesn't say it that way, but he, he tells her to get out. So she plays the tape for her boss. And uh, it's like, oh, this is just an old parlor trick. It's like a magician, blah, 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 blah. And right then fucking Seth walks into the office. So the boss thinks it's all BS. She says that to him. is like, oh, I'm relieved now. And uh, so what's the magic word? Cheeseburger. <laughs> and uh, so they go out to lunch. And uh, he asks her to just take him on as a major project with the agreement that she can't release anything until the project is complete. With the end goal being transporting human, Seth, 15 feet. and once again, it's his dialogue. I can't, can't do it justice. Over the course of how many hours does it take to travel that distance? 
it was shot on time lapse. Um, <laughs> so uh, then we see Veronica come home to find Stathis, Stathis. Which way do you pronounce this guy's name? I think name? it's Stathis. Stathis, which is, uh, what is it? John Gitz. What's his first name? Yeah, John Gitz. John gets to become Stumpy. John gets a hand and foot removed. There's a lot of jokes in here. Um, but anyways. He plays a good asshole boss in this movie, though. He does. But she comes home to find him in her shower. And through conversation, he still has a key. He's the ex. He's the jealous ex. Um, so the next thing we have happen is it's time for a live test subject. And uh, I think in the original, it was a cat. And it never made it through. Because they asked what happened to the cat. And it's like, it's now a space cat. Its <laughs> atoms are now streaming in space or some shit like that. So in this one, it's a baboon. And he puts the commands in the computer. It goes from one telepod to the other. And him and Gina Davis go up to it. And before they open the door, this bloody thing just yeah. goes down the door. Very iconic scene. Yes. And they open the door. And it's a fucking inside out twitching, screaming baboon. And it is grotesque and awesome. Did you uh, read anything about the special effects of that? Um, I know all of this, other than the optical overlays for some sparks and stuff, it was all practical. Well, it's two guys under the floor yeah, spraying blood up, and it was just fucking pouring back down on them, apparently. <laughs> yeah, because that whole, for all the shots for that, for all the puppeteering that they have to do later in the movie, it's all a raised stage with guys up under it. Did you read about the baboons and, and Jeff Goldblum at all? Um, about how the the motherfucker was horny all the time, and <laughs> no, I didn't read that. Yeah, they ended up. I don't remember what they did if they uh, if they rotoed it out or what. But the every shot with the baboon, he had a raging heart on. <laughs> there was more than one baboon. One of them wasn't trained yet, okay. and apparently, something with Jeff Goldblum's build and stockiness when he didn't have a shirt on, it would make the baboons comfortable and they, it would hang out with them. Okay, and it was like anytime it would get bad, the animal. Handler couldn't corral it, and then Jeff Goldblum would have to go over there, and it was like he was the dominant. He was the alpha. Yeah, it's really fucking weird, right? It's like the his presence commanded the fucking baboon. And when I read that, I was like, that's fucking crazy. But um, so after the incident, uh, Veronica has got the camcorder set up, and she's like, talk, Seth. The world's going to want to know what you're thinking. And he goes, fuck is what I'm thinking. <laughs> he blames himself for not being able to explain flesh to the computer. That all the computer knows is garbage in, garbage out, and it doesn't know the the magic of the flesh. Yeah, as uh, he says something like, computers are dumb, they only know what you tell them. Exactly. So now that Seth is smart and vulnerable, Veronica wants him. So uh, they're doing it, and uh, <laughs> he gets something stuck in his back while they're banging on the couch. And it's the circuit board, and he's like, oh, I've been looking for that. Or that's where that <laughs> went, or something like that. And uh, she's she pulls it out, and uh, she's like, um, here, let me kiss it and make it better. Oh, I could just eat you right up. You know, that's that's why old ladies like to pinch the cheeks of babies because the flesh makes them crazy. And it's like light bulb. And he does this steak experiment where he sends one piece of steak through the teleporter and another piece not through and has her eat it. And like one of them's fine, except he's shitty at cooking steak. And the <laughs> other one she refers to as tasting synthetic. And uh, he goes on this whole tear about how, ah, I must explain the flesh to the computer and then this is going to work. <laughs> How exactly does one explain flesh to a computer? I don't know, because for all the fun shots that it shows of him keying in or saying things to the computer, because he shows the voice recognition that it does. Oh, yeah. He had Siri way early. Yeah. It doesn't show this. It shows a profile shot of him just hunting and pecking away like I type. And uh, they probably couldn't figure out how to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck it. We'll do it with a profile shot. But we get uh, Veronica goes to the clothing store to buy a jacket for uh, Seth. 
<laughs> so the ex shows up there at the store and he's like, yeah, that'll look great on him. <laughs> like he's such an asshole. And uh, she's like, look, I'm finally onto something big, huge. And he goes, what is cock? <laughs> <laughs> and what's so great about that is during the pause, I went, what is cock? And he fucking nails it. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and, uh, but it's just more of, he's an asshole. He's the jealous asshole ex. After reprogramming the computer, baboon number two goes through. And this time we have success. It comes running right out of the pod, jumps up on him, seems perfectly normal. He shows Veronica that, you know, everything's cool with this one. And uh, now it's time for me to go through. And he's like, well, let's send the monkey off, you know, for tests, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, let's go on vacation and a little bit of shit like that. Just more of her kind of being more into him. And uh, I think we get a, uh, oh, the envelope shows up. It's from her ex where he's already got artwork and shit together where he's going to post this story about it. And she's like, I got to go take care of something from my past officially. So she vamps out to take care of her past. And uh, Jeff Goldblum just keeps drinking and talking to the baboon. It's <laughs> his buddy, man. And he works out like that's like, oh, OK, that's her ex. Um, blah, blah, blah. And he's just saying it all to the baboon. And he's like. Uh, I'm sorry about what I did to your brother. And, uh, but while this is happening, the baboon's swatting at this fly flying around its face. And uh, too drunk to notice, Seth teleports with the fly. Yeah, so like, fuck waiting. That fucking baboon notices the fly on the pod, though. Yeah. So Veronica ends up coming back, and Seth tells her that he went through. He does the whole gymnast workout routine thing, which was doubles. Yeah, it was fucking random as hell how he did that gym routine. He did tell her that he was nice enough to film it for her, though. <laughs> this is true. So the next day they go out for coffee and <laughs> Seth, he goes on this rant um, about how he reprogrammed the computer and not only did it teleport him, but it made him better that it somehow purified him. And, uh, he's just dumping sugar into his coffee while he's telling this. He's like, do you usually take that much sugar with your coffee? And, uh, he's talking very fast and erratically as well. <laughs> yeah. And I saw a thing that like the first half of his dialogue in that scene is what was written. And like from the midpoint on is all ad libbed. Okay. And, uh, so I'm guessing even thinking, you know what? I think I will have a cannoli waiter. And he's like banging on the table and shit. <laughs> and, uh, but he ends up saying the process can make man King. So he really likes sugar and he's already losing his shit. <laughs> So during another romp, and Seth is starting to look a little sickly at this point, <laughs> Veronica can feel the hairs on his back, and she actually cuts some off to take as a sample to do something with. Is this the scene where she's like, I don't know, you have any fluids left in you? <laughs> and that's the thing, like he's ready to bone down all the time and she can't keep up. So he ends up demanding for her to go through the pods so that she can keep up with him. And, uh, but she's way too scared, like he's literally dragging her towards the pod and shit. And uh, she's like, I think something went wrong when you went through. And uh, he's like, well, if you're too chicken shit to be a member of the dynamic duo, I'll go find someone else who will. And he fucking storms off to a bar. And uh, finds this sketchy looking chick sitting at the bar watching these dudes arm wrestle. And uh, it's like, I got a hundred bucks, says I can beat him and I get to take the lady home. And uh, she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the boyfriend or whatever is like, no, I got this. And uh, they go to arm wrestle and you actually see the sticky goo start to come out of his hand. And of course, breaks dude's wrist. Yeah. And uh, that was a real simple fiberglass appliance that was just on his hand. Like they said, they spent all this time trying to make this prop arm and it wouldn't work and all this money. And the dude's just like, look, we put something on the palm of his hand. When his hand moves, it breaks through the flesh. Why are you making this so hard? <laughs> and that's what they did. And that's what they used. So he takes the girl home. I think it's Tawny. I'm really surprised she went home with them because it's like the 80s and he basically looks like an AIDS patient. And that's the thing where, and a lot of shit gets said about this, that the way the movie was done was supposed to be talking about AIDS and like as much as he's wanting to fuck. And then he's like getting sickly and shit. 
But then it also touches on the whole thing of like what Veronica goes through as he gets sick and is changing, which is more like cancer. And that's what Gina Davis even said in interviews, that that's how she felt. It was like watching someone get destroyed by a disease in general. It didn't have to be AIDS. When she comes back later in the movie and he's like fucked up, he even calls it cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he's taking Tony back and they're going up the stairs and she just plops down and she's like, no elevator. And he fucking picks her up and goes, don't you feel elevated? And then keeps walking <laughs> up the stairs. So they bang all night and then the morning comes and uh, he's like, I need you to go in the pod. She's like, no, I don't want to do that. And uh, she starts giving him a back rub and he's like, no, that hurts. Like, oh, so there's something. It's not just your fucked up face now. Now it's now weird things are happening. And uh, he's trying to drag her into the pod, you know, back to his move. Like, no, fuck this. I need a fuck buddy. I need a fuck buddy that can keep up because <laughs> it's instinctual. You know, that's what you're supposed to be getting off this. It's the insect brain taking over. She's like, I can't. I'm afraid. He's like, uh, don't be afraid. And. Around the corner, there's Veronica standing there that delivers the line, be afraid, be very afraid, which I think was a Cronenberg line. I think he wrote that. Don't hold me to that, but some part of me thinks that's what it is. So Veronica ends up telling Seth that the hairs from his back um, weren't identified as human, that the closest thing they would be is insect hair. Because she basically had to cut those things off of fucking hedge clippers. Yeah. <laughs> And she tells him that he looks and smells bad, too. And he's like, oh, I've never been a bather uh, or much of a bather, whatever he says. But she's like, no, you're sick. And uh, he starts punching the shit out of this door frame and like pieces of her exploding. And he's like, does this look like a sick man to you? <laughs> Which I love that because on the one hand, he's trying to make his point, And on the other hand, it's like, absolutely. The way you're <laughs> acting does look like a sick man. And then he calms her down by taking her by the hand dipping his hand in a cup of water and dripping it on her palm and explaining the chaos theory, right? No, that's Jurassic Park. Fuck. He's a, he's a rock star scientist in both. It's easy to confuse the two. He is. And what's cool is in, in, this, in this episode, we will have crossovers with someone that I refer to as Stumpy. Then we also get to have crossovers with Jurassic Park. But at any rate, so he says the deal's off and he throws her out. He starts to examine himself in the mirror and like he nervously bites his nail and the fucking nail comes off. Then he squeezes his finger and it squirts goo on the fucking mirror. The goo didn't get me as bad as the nail falling off. That always fucks yeah. with me in movies. I don't know why. Well, and then he, then he just pulls off the next nail and then he sits down on the edge of the tub and he's like, am I dying? Is this what dying is like? <laughs> so he goes to the computer and he asks the computer for a computer analysis. I love this shit because it's showing <laughs> it on the screen. And it's like, what? Because when he, when he does shit going through the pod, it shows it do the breakdown of the genetic material and then putting it back together and is asking uh, what went through the pod. And uh, primary element, Brundle. Secondary element, unknown. Or something like that. Or it's like primary element, Brundle, and secondary element. Or something like that. He types in, if primary element is Brundle, what is secondary element? And the computer goes, secondary element is not Brundle. <laughs> <laughs> And it does the DNA analysis to reveal that it's a fly and that they have fused at the molecular level. So we cut to Veronica getting a phone call from a panicked Seth. And he says he's been hiding from her for weeks, but now he's scared. She goes over, place is fucking thrashed. There's snacky cake wrappers everywhere. <laughs> and that's the other thing. He started eating candy because like when he goes to the bar, he's like eating candy bars. When he goes yeah. to the bar to get the chick. And uh, he's turned into a fucking fly. And uh, <laughs> a fucking fly. What region do those come from? <laughs> um south i don't know <laughs> they're in the genus of the bot fly but they're a subspecies um so uh seth is looking really shitty now and uh, i guess he's on stage like 14b or whatever of the makeup and he's like is, is he on a walker or like some kind of crutches or a cane or something and uh he tells her about the fly 
and that it must have damaged his DNA and it must be some some form of rare cancer. Just in the middle of talking, he picks up a donut and pukes on it. It's Josh's shirt. <laughs> and uh, I love it, man, because he's just nonchalantly. So he pukes on it. He's like, oh, oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> like he hasn't been around a person in so many weeks. He doesn't quite get it. Exactly. Because she's and Gina Davis is great in this scene because she's like glass eyed fucking about, oh, yeah. about to ball the whole time. I mean, she's always been a great actress. No, um, I was reading... getting past those teeth because <laughs> her teeth get on set before she does. <laughs> I was reading that uh, that was one of the good things about having Jeff Goldblum in the movie, not just because the way he portrayed the character, because he didn't have to be as eccentric, you know, as he was. That yeah. just kind of came with the package. Jeff Goldblum had had a couple movies under his belt, but he wasn't like a huge leading actor yet. And it was easier to get him to do that many hours of prosthetic and makeup than if you had a more famous actor. Yeah. Because a lot of times they don't want to do it. Jeff Goldblum's like, fuck yeah, I'll do it. Oh, yeah. And he was like hardcore into it as far as like studying the insects. And it's like, how would I feel? How do I show pain? How do I show this? And then later on when they're on to the puppets, there's stuff where Cronenberg's like, no, do the tick like Jeff does. And shit like that. <laughs> but uh, he's a character in every movie. And the problem is he he's kind of like the same character. So you have to find the movie that you can throw him into. But when he's there, it's always fine. Yeah. So right after the puke scene, his ear falls off and he, he asks Veronica for help and she just cries and hugs him. So she goes to Stathis and he's like, well, I don't believe you, but you're telling me if I saw him, I would, I would believe you. Why don't you videotape it and bring it to me? And uh, so she goes back and this time Seth's crawling on the fucking ceiling. And yeah. he's like crawling across the ceiling and uh, <laughs> he's like, I feel better now. I'm getting pretty good at it, huh? And he pulls up his shirt and he's like, what's that? I don't know. And just keeps crawling across the ceiling. <laughs> it's so good. And uh, he's feeling great and he's super excited to become what he now calls Brundlefly. So he's adjusting well. Yeah. Stathis uh, sees the tape of Brundlefly. <laughs> and the tape is all right, kids, how does Brundlefly eat? <laughs> I learned eventually that. I couldn't digest food. My teeth have become useless and that eating actually hurts. So what Brundlefly does, Brundlefly brings up an enzyme that can dissolve the food. And you you cut back to Stathis watching the tape. You don't see it this time. But we know because we just yeah. saw that scene. And um, so he's horrified. And uh, Veronica comes in crying and just runs to the bathroom. And uh, it's like, oh, it must be because, you know, she's upset about all this shit. And, and uh, he goes in there. I'm talking like Jeff Goldblum now and uh um and uh but uh <laughs> you always um a lot it's, it's, it has nothing to do with this movie but she's crying in the bathroom and he goes in there because she's obviously staying with him now while she's going through all this shit and uh she's preggers so we cut real quick to what I don't know is supposed to be an abortion or the birth but this is when we get the Cronenberg cameo right and uh they're like go ahead and push you can push what's in there out and it's like is there more a lot more <laughs> and this like foot and a half long fucking maggot comes out that she delivers instead of a baby <laughs> and it's fucking twitching around and shit and the doctors are fucking freaking out and then she wakes up so it was just a nightmare my uh kids were outside playing my wife was watching them and i was cleaning the room and i had this on in their their tv and right as that scene's happening i can hear my four-year-old daughter come running up the stairs i'm like fuck where's the remote she doesn't need to see this shit <laughs> I read that somebody, I want to say it was Mel Brooks, told Cronenberg that he looked like a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon. <laughs> and that's why he did the cameo, because he doesn't normally do cameos in movies. That's what I thought was real odd, was him actually being in it. I knew it was him when I saw that brow. <laughs> <laughs> so, back to Brundlefly at the computer. 
I think this is when the speech recognition doesn't work anymore because he's turned so much. And uh, he's asking the computer, what's the solution to the problem? And it's like, well, we need to add more human genetic material. So that's his solution. He's going to hook up the third pod. His teeth fall out because he puts a pencil in his teeth while he's typing and his teeth fall out. And he goes to the medicine cabinet. Um, <laughs> the museum? <laughs> the museum. The, uh, the Brundlefly Natural History Museum or whatever. <laughs> and uh, when you see inside the medicine cabinet, you see his ear. You see some other things. I'm pretty fucking sure you see a penis in a cup. Are you serious? Yeah. I went back and watched it a second time just for that scene. And because there's two things in a cup that it's like, is that it can't be an old finger because he's got gloves on now. That's too. That's not a big toe. I think that's a penis. <laughs> so, We've got a cock in a cup. <laughs> we got a cock in a cup. And uh, so Veronica comes over and uh, she's coming there to tell him that she's pregnant, but she can't. She almost says it and she can't. Like he's so fucked up now. She's just distraught. And he goes on the spiel about insect politics and insects don't have politics. They're ruthless. They have no compassion, no conscience. And basically what he's trying to tell her is she needs to leave and never come back because if she stays, he'll hurt her. Right. And so now this is even more damaging to her. You know, she's fucking crying and fucking vamps out. He kind of caught on though. Cause he knows that she's pregnant. Well, yeah. Cause he, well, I think the next scene is what, what puts a bow on it because uh, she goes back out downstairs and we see that Stathis had actually driven her there. And that's when she's like, I want it out of me. I want it out of me right now. And we can see Brundle fly up on the roof, watching them talk. Gotcha. So they go to they go to his buddy's doctor's office because he's like, middle of the night? Can't we do this Tuesday or some shit? And um, Brundlefly ends up busting through the glass wall into the room where she's sitting there before she's going to get the abortion and fucking takes her away. And he's like, that could be the only part of Seth left. Please don't kill me. Yeah. Because at this point, he knows he's turning into a fly. He doesn't flat out say it, but he knows the insect is taking over. So meanwhile, Stathis goes to the lab and assembles his shotgun. And by the lab, I mean Brundlefly's lab. So he's standing there putting the shotgun together and fucking Brundlefly drops down from the ceiling. <laughs> and fucking this seems so great because he grabs him and he just starts puking on his hand and his hand fucking melts away Raider right. style. And he's screaming and shit. And then while this is going on, he starts using his foot to try to drag the shotgun back over to him and Brundlefly sees that that's going on. So he pukes all over his ankle too and dissolves that shit off. For the rest of the movie, he will now be known as Stumpy. <laughs> At this point, there's only like eight minutes left in the movie though. Right. So uh, Veronica comes in and uh, Brundlefly tells him the whole plan. It's like, I have the third prototype pod set up. I'm going to fuse you, me, the baby, and the fly all together. So once again, dragging her towards the pod and she's not having it. At this point, he's like the big bulgy head, barely human-esque anymore. And in the struggle, she reaches up and grabs his jaw and rips his fucking jaw. It's fucking gnarly. Yeah. And then we cut to the reveal shot where the fucking head breaks away in pieces and space bugs head is revealed. And this is all puppets at this point. And it was like three or four different ones. And the behind the scenes stuff is awesome because on some of these, there's like six guys just out of frame running this shit. And uh, <laughs> you can hear fucking Cronenberg in the background is like, Gina, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're supposed to be acting right now. Don't just rip his fucking jaw off. You're scared. Make some fucking noise. <laughs> and uh, so we have to see these special features. <laughs> so we've revealed Spacebug and Spacebug throws Veronica into one pod and then goes and climbs into the second pod. And uh, while this is going on, Stumpy manages to get the shotgun and he blows away the cable connecting her pod to the rig. So she's freed and Spacebug's like, oh, hell no, I'm not having this and goes to climb out of his pod 
but the, the program's already running. And just as it gets the door open, the tel- teleportation sequence happens. And uh, <laughs> so it gets teleported into the final pod along with the door right. to the fucking pod because that's it was supposed to be everything coming together. And at this point, Spacebug crawls out. And I don't know about you, but for me, I'm so sad right now. It's like Frankenstein's monster. Like there's just the way it moves, the way it looks. And it's a fucking puppet. And it looks like it's in fucking complete misery and torment. And you, I mean, this isn't one of those movies where you're like, why the fuck are they trying to make me feel sorry for the bad guy? He really wasn't the bad guy. No. He, I mean, he did some bad shit, but it's because, I mean, his brain was basically fucked up at this point, right? So you feel sorry for Brundle. Yeah. And uh, at this point, Veronica's holding the shotgun and it crawls all the way up to it and its pinchers come out and grab the shotgun and fucking puts it to its own forehead. And uh, that's the moment that made me feel real bad for him right there. Yeah, that is such a powerful fucking shot. And she's crying so hard. She's like, no, and she won't do it. And she takes a couple steps back, takes a breath, realizing she has to and blows its fucking brains out. And that's it. Or blows its head off, actually. And that's it. That's where the movie ends. And uh, like I said, it's a really fucking sad story. But just the whole idea of what his character goes through and what he becomes on the one hand is just terrifying story and done real well and then the effects by the time you get to the very end of the movie like i didn't even go into detail when when he's turned into space bug there's another reverse shot where the barely human-esque legs are stepping and the fly legs now rip or a space bug i keep saying space bug because if you watch anything or anything on it the different phases get called different things so okay seth then Brundlefly, and then once he's full-blown bug he's space bug i was actually going to ask you why was he space fly or space bug or whatever at the end <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up when we we're kicking around what to do for this episode as far as monsters go and watching it again. The wife didn't like it, which is a miss between me and her, but whatever. Does she necessarily like the older 80s horror movies sometimes? Yes, but it's got, she's like me. She's got to have, I need this, that, and the other. Ah. And this one was just like, that was boring. <laughs> this is where sometimes, like, even you and I will have a disconnect on movies for the podcast. I just mean, like, a lot of these older movies, I saw them in the proper time. So then it's like questionable if you're going to like it when you go back and see him. I didn't know you hadn't seen this one, but I don't, I don't know how I would react to this movie if I didn't see it till 2019. (laughs) Well, luckily I'd seen it in pieces. So it wasn't, it wasn't new, new to me and me being me that I'm like, Oh, I'm not into the drama. I don't fucking care. The movie's done so well that you, it's all, well, look at how small the cast is. Stumpy's not in there that much. He serves his role, but, uh, Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum just fucking hoist that thing up on their shoulders and carry it fucking great. And then the practical effects by the time you get to the payoff are so damn good. It never lets go as far as keeping interest, at least for me. And uh, it's an emotional fucking story. I think the special effects still hold up too. absolutely. Did you know there's a sequel to this movie? There is. All I remember is Eric Stoltz is in it <laughs> and he's their son. And he's like five years old, but he's grown. So he's like aging faster. Okay. And then the fly characteristics start to take over. I remember he's got a scene where he like jumps through a window, just like how Jeff Goldblum does when he kidnaps her from the doctor's office. Yeah. That's it. That's the extent of my memory of that film. I kind of want to go back and rewatch it now, though. Yeah. Since I just watched this one, I'm going to have to watch that one. All right. And for our last movie of the episode, I'm going to go into The Monster in 2016, which has to be the most recent entry. Out of this, right? Well, definitely out of this episode, but all the monster movies we were looking at. Yeah. I guess we don't really get that many monster movies anymore, so. 
Not really. I don't know. They're fun, but like it's it's kind of like that werewolf thing, right? Like you have to be able to do the special effects well and not look shitty or cheesy. Yeah. And unfortunately, CGI gets used a lot, but not in this film. This film used practical effects still. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, look, I have to go ahead and say this. All right. The 30 days a night thing was like, I, I agree with you that like if I go check off a list, Josh should like this movie. And my wife's like, what do you not get? Why do you not like this movie? Like, and that one I can say, look, I get it. It just doesn't, for some reason, it doesn't get me. This is going to be my ginger snaps. Oh, oh. I knew you were going to like this one. I was shocked in 30 days a night, but I was like, this movie's too classy for Josh to like. Well, and I also have a theory, but I'll save it for the end. I bet I know what your theory is. Yeah, it's pretty fucking obvious. I don't think that theory is accurate, though. We'll get to that. We'll get there. (laughs) But The Monster, it's written and directed by Brian Bertino, who wrote and directed The Strangers. And then he wrote Strangers Pray at Night. Right. Okay. So you just have a hard on for this guy. That's what's going on. Apparently I didn't even like, I saw this movie because when me and David used to have regular horror movie nights, I used to categorize them. So like I had monster movie night and I was like, I heard this movie's fucking awesome. Cause it was like all over everything. Cause yeah. this when a 24 first started doing horror movies, or at least they were getting their name out there. And, uh, I don't know. Like I had no clue it was him until I was researching it. Cause I've only seen it once and then I just rewatched it. So okay. I don't know. It's pretty cool. Like, but the strangers, another one where you're like, yeah, it's kind of slow. Yeah. So, but it freaked you out that night. It did. But anyways, this is, a, you know, his return to horror. He originally titled the movie There Are Monsters, which is a cool name as well. Yeah. I don't I don't know who decided to change it. And like I said before, it's a 24 movie. We talked about them in a really early episode. I think it was one of the slasher ones that okay. them and Blumhouse, you know, or how we're getting horror movies for the most part nowadays. And a 24 doesn't actually make movies. They just distribute them. So they take those movies that people made that weren't going to make it anywhere and they put them out. And that's how you got like, I'm not a fan of the witch, but it's, you know, it's fucking beloved. <laughs> right. And that was a 24. I saw Sw- Swiss army man as a fucked up movie. It's not a horror movie, but like, it was really weird. And I was fucking entertained by that movie. It was entertained. I was just saying it was weird. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, a 24 lets you get some of these things. And then Art- this is like an art house horror movie. So it's kind of a little different too. And it would have never saw the light of day probably if it wasn't for a 24, but we open up with this really cool, you know, like title card, I guess you call it. It's supposed to be a quote, right? Yeah. And it says, they are hiding and watching. Just wait and see. Oh, there are monsters for you and for me. And it says, children's nursery rhyme, 1903, author unknown. Did a bit of research. I can only find this movie. Okay. So maybe it wasn't an actual nursery rhyme. It's a fucking cool nursery rhyme, though. (laughs) But we get a monologue from Lizzie, who is fucking an awesome kid actor to me in this movie. She's like, she's one of those kid actors that like plays like an adult the whole time. Yeah. Sometimes it's out of place in a movie, but in this movie, this kid has to fucking raise herself, so it's not as out of place. Yeah. But she's played by Ella Ballantine, which I can remember that name easy because my daughter's <laughs> name's Ella. But uh, like I said, I love her in this movie. But she has a monologue, and she says, My mom tells me there's no such thing as monsters, but she is wrong. They are out there waiting for you, watching. Sometimes we see them, sometimes we don't. I know that now. I am not afraid of them anymore. And I was wondering, like, is this from the end? Because I hadn't seen it in a while. Okay. Kind of comes back around, you know? Yeah. We find out that Lizzie's a latchkey kid, right? Like, she's young in this movie. I mean, she's probably like, I don't know, like middle school, but. Yeah. But uh, she's having to feed herself. She's having to clean up. She's having to, like, pack her own bags. Her mom's got booze bottles everywhere that she's cleaning up, emptying the ashtrays, doing the dishes. It looks like she just basically lives by her fucking self. Yeah. And uh, 
She hears her mom's alarm going off. She goes in there. She's having a hard time waking her up because she's obviously passed out drunk and unconscious. And she's already slept an hour past the alarm. And she's like, I'm getting up. I'm getting up. And they get into a big argument. Yeah. And then later when the mom stumbles in trying to pull her fucking pants up, you find out now that she just fell back asleep and slept through most of the day. Yeah. And that's part of where the problem comes in. And uh, the mom is played by Zoe Kazan, which she's done a bunch of random like TV shows and stuff that I've seen. The actresses are great in this movie. They have to carry the movie together in a fucking car for the most part. And yeah. I felt like they do that shit. It's yeah. very emotional. Uh, other to than me. a couple of guest appearances, they're the movie. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, mom's apologizing that they overslept and they're supposed to be going on some sort of road trip. And Lizzie's like, I packed both her bags. Let's get out of here. Right. And Kathy's her mom's name. I don't know if I said that earlier. But you can tell from the start of the car ride, they do not get along at all. You're too old for that. You're too old for a lot of things. You find out that Kathy is taking Lizzie to go live with her dad. Kathy doesn't think that Lizzie's ever going to come back to see her again. Yeah. So she gives Lizzie her mother's watch, just like give her something to remember her by. Yeah, because they stop for her to have a cigarette because she won't let her smoke in the car. Yeah, she told her she was allowed to stop. That was it. And uh, you get your first of many flashbacks in this movie, right? And there's like a, a fuck you match going on in the garage. Like they're just fucking yelling at each other back and forth. Cause I think the daughter has a play and the mom's actually dressed up kind of nice and cleaned up yep. and wants to go. And she doesn't want her mom to go there and embarrass her. And it kind of like fucks you up a little bit. Like you can see their, their dynamic is really screwed. Cause like that's an, a, a point where the mom's trying and the daughter won't let her. Right. But yeah. maybe she's drunk at that point. In time. See, I don't know that scene. I actually really, really like cause she's out in the car and then the daughter's in the garage and she's like, no, you're fucking going, blah, 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 yeah, yeah. And she's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And finally, under her breath, she says, I don't want you there. Right. And that's what the whole thing is. And, uh, and that's when they, it, it turns into the F-bombs. But I loved that scene. The writing, the writing and acting in that scene between the irresponsible mom and the what the fuck am I having to deal with daughter is <laughs> actually really good. Like she chucks her heels, gets in the, you know, starts heading to the car. And she's like, find your own fucking ride. And she just leaves her there. Yeah. But when I saw the movie for the first time and you see the mom, you're like, okay, is she the monster? Right? Like, cause that's immediately when I thought that. No. And it, you know, I'd seen the end so that I knew differently, but like it, you can tell it's trying to be artsy here with that. Yeah. But we cut back to the car and there's a thunderstorm and we find out that Lizzie doesn't like thunderstorms and they're having to drive through it. And it's nighttime at this point. I don't think it's supposed to be more than a few hour drive, but they were supposed to leave at like nine in the morning and they left late in the afternoon because Kathy was passed out drunk. But you can see that they have the same like attitude, the way they're complaining to each other. And then they both have the same mannerism, how they pop their knuckles into their fingers. Yeah. And they're more alike, you know, than you got the sober version of the drunk version. Right. But they're kind of the same person because <laughs> you got the immature mom and the grown up daughter. <laughs> so yep. they kind of meet in the middle. Right. The main thing you get here from the dialogue is Lizzie tells Kathy that she never listens to her. And Kathy's like, I wish you'd just stop saying that to me. Right. Yeah. So like that kind of comes into play later. But at this point, their tire fucking blows in the car. They lose control of the car. They go skidding down the street and they slam into an animal and they're both hurt and they're crying and pain. Kathy's bleeding from the head. Her wrist is like broken or sprained or something. And the power just shuts off in the car. And Lizzie calls 911 and she's trying to describe to the operator where they are because they're on some old road that's not traveled often. And they're yeah. like, we took this exit. We're on this. And I'm sure it was for the mom to be able to smoke. Like, that's why they're having to, they need to go where she could stop regularly. Right. <laughs> but uh, she gets off the phone and she tells her mom that the ambulance and the tow truck thingy are on their way. The rain stops and they're in their car and they're just staring at this dead wolf. Right. 
And Kathy asks her if she wants to get out and she's afraid. Like, oh, what if the animal's alive? And Kathy's like, I want out. She just wants to smoke a fucking cigarette, right? Yeah. And her door's stuck. So she has to make Lizzie get out so she can get out. And they examine the car and Kathy decides that Lizzie needs to call her dad, get him to come pick her up wherever they get taken by the tow truck or the ambulance, right? Because yeah. she's not going to be able to drive in the car. It's too fucked at this point. Exactly. The dad wants to know if Kathy was drinking, though. And Lizzie's like, no, she wasn't. You know, no, no, she was fine. It wasn't yeah. like that. And that, I got to say, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but during the conversation, you never hear him. You only hear the daughter. And she's right. like, no, she wasn't. And like, you can, you can pick up on it. They, they did a good job on that, but he, yeah, was she drunk? That's all he wants to know. Yeah. I, I don't know <laughs> if it's the writer or her delivery of the lines, but she carries the whole conversation one side of, we know exactly what's going on. Yep. But we get another flashback, and it's to see Kathy struggle with alcoholism and how she was trying to come clean, most likely for her daughter. Because she, I mean, you see through the flashbacks and through the movie, she cares about her daughter. She just makes fucking poor decisions. Yeah. Alcoholism's a disease, right? So, but she's like trying to not drink and smoke in and this and that. And then she goes and digs her bottles out of the trash can and she's like chugging them. And then, you know, you see her passed out in the bathroom in her underwear, and Lizzie wakes up. And I don't, I don't know if they showed it yet or not, but Lizzie sleeps under her bed a lot. You notice that? Oh, I didn't even catch that. It's her safe haven or whatnot. Okay. But she goes in there and there's puke in the toilet and her mom's passed out and she flushes the toilet and she crawls down on the bathroom floor with her mom and puts her arm around her and kind of cuddles with her to keep her warm. And you can tell that like, she really does care for her mom. She just had enough of her shit. Right. Yeah. And like I said, the, the main part of this movie is like a character piece of a mother and daughter that has a monster in it. Yeah. And not like a monster movie that's trying to do character development. Which I guess kind of the feast was the opposite, right? Like, yes. Yeah, so. yeah, these are definitely polar opposites <laughs> of each other. But we cut back to the road, and they're looking at the wolf corpse, and they find a large tooth like in the body, right? Yeah, like a fucking Jurassic Park or something. <laughs> it's pretty fucking big. <laughs> and they head back to the car, and uh, Kathy says to Lizzie that there were cuts on the body of the wolf that were not from the car. So something had have attacked it, and there are lots of things out there in the woods, right? Yeah. And this is when we start getting like the stalking shots. The camera will POV from the monster in the woods and you can hear it growling and like stalking around their car. Yeah. And this is, you know, like you said, it's, it's two lane road in the woods, no street lights. It looks like the middle of nowhere. It looks <laughs> like they're almost to my house. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but, uh, the monster continues to stalk and watch them. And Lizzie tries to wrap Kathy's wrist and then the tow truck pulls up and, uh, Lizzie notices that something's missing. Mama, uh-huh. where'd the wolf go? The truck driver tells them that the ambulance is going to be a while because I don't remember if there's a wreck or because of the storm or what. It was a wreck. I think he says there's a wreck on the highway that's got everybody at it. But he's going to have to work on the truck for a bit to be able to tow it because the axle snapped in half or something, right? Yep. And uh, he's like, put your things in the truck and wait inside. And he, he helps them get their stuff. But Kathy doesn't want to go wait in the truck. She wants to wait in their car. But she lets the stuff go in the truck. So I, I don't know. It's kind of uh, disconnecting there. She doesn't trust anybody, really, right? Yeah. The tow truck driver's name is Jesse. It's a cool name. And he's played by Aaron Douglas, which he was the chief in fucking Battlestar Galactica, and he was the sheriff in Hemlock Grove. So he's kind of okay. horror sci-fi alum, right? I mean, he's a pretty main character in fucking Battlestar. I've never watched that. It's a good show. You probably like it. I know you're not like the biggest sci-fi fan, but it's a fucking awesome show. Uh, Lizzie wants to know why a wolf would run out into the road like that in front of the car, and she thinks that the tooth is a bit large to be just like a normal woodland creature, right? It's a woodland creature's Christmas. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> Sorry. But, the, you know, Jesse's working on the car. The power comes on. 
And Kathy wants Lizzie to call her dad, but the phone is in the tow truck, right? Because yep, it was in the bag. And and Kathy's like, go, just go out there. Just go get it. You know, and she sends Lizzie out reluctantly. And uh, Lizzie goes and she can't get into the truck. So she's telling Jesse that she needs the keys. But the monster's watching her and growling like from the woods again. We keep getting these POV shots. Yeah. And she notices a blood trail going to the woods where the wolf has been dragged off. And I fucking love this scene. She goes into the woods and she kneels down at the wolf corpse and it's completely fucking disemboweled and she's looking at it and she's yelling for her mom to come see it, but her mom doesn't hear because she's in the car and I think the music's on. But the whole time there's this black mass behind Lizzie next yeah. to the trees and you don't really think anything of it because it's just so dark. And then the fucking black mass stands up and has fucking eyes and sharp teeth and it's right behind her. It's one of those like, whoa, fuck moments the first time you see it. Yeah, that part was pretty cool. And it's not like a jump scare. It was just an awesome use of lighting and cinematography. Kind of like when we were talking about uh, The Conjuring 2 and the little girl in the chair and it turns in the old man. It was just like really kind of like yeah. simple thing that just freaks you out a little bit. But there's a cutaway to the wolf's body and it cuts back to Lizzie and the mass is gone or the monster's gone just entirely at this point. Yeah. We get another flashback and this one is Lizzie sleeping under her bed, like I was saying earlier. Okay. And she hears a car leave. Uh, she goes to check on her mother and finds her passed out drunk on the couch. And Lizzie goes and gets a knife and she fucking holds the knife up to her mom's passed out face. Like she's going to fucking just kill her and end it there. Yep. Which is dark and fucked up. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and then she starts giving her mom some fucking, you know, terms of endearment. <sighs> but we cut back to the present and Lizzie's telling her mom what she saw as Jesse hears something growling outside around him, right? And he's looking around in this flashlight because he can hear it like circling around the car at him, right? Yeah. Because this thing likes to fuck with its prey. But Lizzie's just kind of terrified from the whole ordeal in the woods and seeing the, the corpse of the wolf got dragged off and she's scared and Kathy's promising her that nothing will get him. And they start calling out for Jesse because he's under the car and they've been able to hear him working and yeah. he's not responding. Mr. Jesse? <laughs> and Kathy realizes she doesn't hear him working on the car anymore. The camera pans out because this movie's got like cool cinematography for everything else. And it goes obviously done on like a shoestring budget, you know? Yeah. And uh, when the camera pans out, he's not under the car anymore. It's just the light. And Kathy wants to do the dumb horror movie thing and get out of the car and investigate. <laughs> but I started thinking about it. We would do the dumb horror movie thing. Like the few times that we've been recording, we heard something weird in the cans in the house. We just get up and start fucking searching. True. So we make fun of people in this podcast for doing that. But we do it ourselves. But I usually make sure I at least have a knife on me. What the fuck's a knife going to do against this giant-ass gorilla monster thing? I don't know. I'm going to cut that black blanket off of it and get the human <laughs> underneath. Jesus. Um, <laughs> but Kathy ignores her mom's pleas because she never listens to her, right? Yeah. And gets out of the car and realizes that Jesse's missing. And Kathy can hear some you know, subtle growling in the woods around her. And then Jesse's arm fucking flies to the air and lands on the hood of the car. Love that part. <laughs> Except for, like, he's a terrible monster. He doesn't fucking eat anything he kills. <laughs> but Kathy gets in. She's trying to console Lizzie and says that the ambulance will be here soon. She's just like, you never listen to me because she did not want her mom to get out of the fucking car. Yeah. One-armed Willie, though, starts to drag himself out of the woods <laughs> with a single arm. And, and we just see One-armed Jesse, man. <laughs> One-armed Jesse. <laughs> you feel really bad for the guys. He's trying to fucking get away and he's just pulling. And this was, once again, I was like, why does the monster kill things? He's not even fucking eating them. And I realized that he's trying to like lure out 
Yeah. Like it, he's using bait, right? Yeah. And I think I skipped over it, but Jesse specifically says that this was an old road and nobody drives down anymore. And like the animals weren't used to like coming out. And that's probably why it ran in front of the car. So that's why, you know, if, if anybody's wondering why is there not cars going down the street, apparently nobody drives down this old road. Like they, they built the highway right past Radiator Springs and everybody takes that bitch in, you know? <laughs> but they see him crawling in and they're debating if they should get out and help him or stay safe. Cause obviously something's wrong because his fucking hood's on the. Cause his fucking arms on the windshield, but then they see the monster behind him and they start honking and flashing the lights and yelling for him to turn around. And the monster's gone now. Yep. And then he fucking yanks him under the car, which is awesome. And then you can hear him actually chowing down on him at this point. <laughs> but as he's getting mauled though, Kathy's like trying to protect her daughter and like cover, you know, field of vision. So she can't see any of this fucked up shit, but Kathy's just watching the whole fucking time, you know, but then we cut to another flashback. There's lots of these. And Kathy and Roy are hammered, and Roy is Scott Speedman. And he's a pretty big actor at this time. I think he was probably only in it because the guy that made Strangers. Oh, okay. And you know, and he made it with him. But he's wanting the car keys, and he's like, I bet she has them again. Because apparently when they get hammered, Lizzie has the keys to protect them from, you know, dying. Yeah. And uh, she's in a tent in the garage, it looks like. And Roy fucking charges in yelling at her, and he's angry, and he, he wants the keys. And Kathy's trying to get him to calm down. And Roy ends up finding him under the blanket and gets mad and fucking leaves. And Kathy just slaps the shit out of Lizzie, right? And that's probably one of the moments that was like the straw that broke the camel's back in their relationship. Because you don't really know when these flashbacks occur yeah. during the course of everything. What I got out of that scene was that she's so mad that that's her station in life. And then this kid's friggin' inconvenient that she doesn't know what to do as, right. a, as a mother. And she's so scared and so distraught that all she can think to do is slap, take it out on the child. Cause she was trying to protect her from drunk Roy, but then slapped her when he left. Right. Exactly. But we cut back to the car and Kathy's trying to calm Lizzie down and Lizzie's crying and saying, what is it? I don't want to die. And it's actually pretty fucking kind of hit you in the feels, man. Cause this, this girl is a good actress, but Lizzie wants to know if it was a monster and says that her, you know, you told me monsters weren't real. And Kathy responds with, I was wrong, which I fucking love that part. <laughs> but um, she sees that the truck door was left open because Jesse did manage to get the truck door open before he got yanked under. Yeah. And she's kind of hoping the keys are just laying around in the street. Which yeah. Is a bad gamble, I feel like. And for some reason, she thinks that the monster's not aware that they're in the car, but he threw the fucking arm on there. She's not planning this out real well. Yeah, this is true. She has the intentions of wanting to save her daughter, but she doesn't have the like details ironed out. But Kathy tells Lizzie to stay with Doggy, and Doggy's her stuffed animal that earlier like was playing a song in the movie, and she's like, oh, you're too old for that shit, you know? So, yeah, like, when uh, she squeezes it, it plays songs. So it's like her comfort toy. But at this moment, Dog accidentally goes off. And they stop it. They try to remain still and be quiet and hope the monster didn't hear them. And Kathy looks around to make a run for it. And she's like, shh, to Lizzie. And then the monster breaks the fucking window and yanks her out the car. And I thought they did a good job of the jump scares in this movie because they're kind of limited. And they're kind of classic ones, like yanking the person out of the window is like a classic horror movie staple. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't see it coming the first time. Uh, Jesse getting yanked yeah. under was a good one. Like, so there's a few good ones. But she's on the ground, and this monster's just mauling the fucking shit out of her. And then the ambulance pulls up and scares the monster off, and it runs off. Paramedics come out, and they get Kathy, and they get her into the ambulance. And one of the paramedics goes walking off towards the woods, trying to figure out what's going on, while the other one smartly calls it in. Yeah. <laughs> and um, 
She's like, we need police out here. We need like the medical examiner because I see Jesse's body at this point, or at least the arm and animal control. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's something with big teeth. Right. And uh, Kathy's like, she's on the stretch with our IV and she's like, Lizzie, shut the door, shut the door. Cause she's fucking, <laughs> she knows this thing's out there. Yeah. And she's not even going to try to explain it to the fucking paramedics. Right. And the female paramedic gets back into the ambulance and asks what happened to them. The male paramedic's body is thrown onto the fucking windshield like a grenade-like object. And uh, the fucking female paramedic's in the driver's seat, and she's freaking out. And then she gets ripped through the fucking roof of the ambulance. Like, yeah. it just smashes through and grabs her, and she's gone. That's another scene that I really like, because the, the body getting thrown on the windshield. Because that's like, what the fuck? That that's was, kind of his go-to fun. move. Yes, throw yeah. body parts at windshields, <laughs> or entire bodies. But Kathy immediately dives into the driver's seat of the ambulance and floors it. Hell yeah. And that's when I'm like, yes, the first smart decision you've made the entire movie, woman. (laughs) (laughs) But they're driving off. Looks like they're actually getting away. Oh, fuck you, you fucking devil. And then the monster fucking rams the ambulance from the side and flips that bitch over. Now, I I do want to bring up something. When once that happened, did you think that? They never, the blowout wasn't the cause that maybe it just ran out of the woods and hit them causing the blowout and damage to the car to stop the car. I wondered that, but I rewound it and they're just driving the tire explodes, but we don't see outside. We just see them in the car and hear the tire explode. So I always wondered if maybe it charged them from out of the woods to try to stop the car. And that's how it hunts. My main thought was there were two of them at first. I'm like, how did it, it was on the ambulance ripping her out. And then somehow it's like half a mile down the road and ramming the car, Mm -hmm. which there wasn't two of them. It's just, I, I think at this point we're supposed to realize it's just fast as fuck. Yeah. They're both hurt, but they're both alive. And uh, Kathy tries to call for help out on the radio, but I guess it's not working. I don't know. Fucking the, that bitch flipped and rolled a couple of times. So something's broke. Yeah, it is now defective. But they're basically exposed in the woods now, right? We go back to the monster's POV and he's stalking the ambulance and we're cutting inside to the ambulance and he's like beating on the top of it and scratching it. And he's really fucking with them at this point. Yeah. He's borderline on slasher territory other than he's not human at this point. <laughs> and, um, it drops down right into the ambulance to the opening and Kathy shines a flashlight in his face and it doesn't fucking like it and it runns off in yeah. the woods. <laughs> Shit. But we cut to Kathy in front of the headlights and she's puking up blood and uh, she starts having flashbacks. It's just like quick cuts of like things that are happening with their daughter, whether it's a fight or endearing. And you can tell at this point, she's just like, I got to save my daughter. And you get this look on her face. Like she's like, okay, I'm fucking bleeding internally and I'm about to die. <laughs> so it's time to save her before I, I can't help anymore. It's like the part in Happy Death Day where she's like, I'm not taking the shit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Kathy tells Lizzie they need to make a fire so that Lizzie can get away. And she starts insinuating that she's not going to be around, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she tells Lizzie that she needs her to be braver than she has ever been herself. And that the plan is for Kathy to strike the monster and Lizzie to run away. Kathy says that the monster does not like light. And that is what night lights are for is to scare monsters away. Right. <laughs> and, and Lizzie tells her not to lie to her. Right. Yeah. She's like, don't lie to me, mom. And I really like the light scares off the boogeyman aspect that kind of comes in the movie at this point. Yes. But Kathy tells her straight that she's going to die real soon. And that she has to get Lizzie out of there before that happens. Because the only reason why Kathy is there is to protect her daughter. And, uh, she lets Lizzie have a moment where she's not as sad because Lizzie's like, but if I get away, I can go get help to save you. And she's like, yeah, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Cause yeah. she's trying to make her feel better. And this is one of those like very like kind of gut wrenching, heartwarming scenes to me, I think, cause they, they're playing off each other really well here. Yeah. And, um, this is all intercut with scenes of Kathy standing in the woods with a torch 
and Lizzie crying in the ambulance with Doggy and um, Kathy telling Lizzie to get ready. And, you know what I mean? Because, like, it just cuts back and forth between the plan actually being enacted and it it being planned. Yeah. And we see, you know, Kathy, I love the scene. She's, like, crying and just shaking in the woods. And she can hear it around her with the torch. And she just goes down to her knees and just fucking puts the torch out in a puddle of water. Right? Yeah. And the monster immediately fucking charges out and mauls her. And (laughs) you're hoping at this point that Lizzie's getting away. But then she appears behind the monster, beating the fuck out of it with a mag light, and then shines it right in its face and tells it to go away, and it runs off. And Lizzie holds her mom, and her mom basically dies in her fucking arms at this point. Yeah. There's no coming back from this. Mall number two was the, that was the end there. <laughs> Drunks are pretty tough, though. I mean, she's had a couple car accidents at this point. She's been mauled by basically a giant gorilla bear twice, so... Um, oh. Lizzie tells her mom's body that she's got to go now, right? And that she loves her and she takes her mom's Zippo, which we saw her playing with in the opening scene of the movie. So, yeah, I guess I don't, it's kind of dub. Was it supposed to be foreshadowing that she knew how to use it or? I guess because she, she did. She gave her shit. She's like, what are you doing with that? Give it back to me. Or is it just supposed to be like she's aware of it, right? But she crawls into the ambulance and she's crying and she's doing the little finger fidget thing that her and her mom both do. Yeah. And then she takes the Zippo and she finds like an aerosol can of some sort of like antiseptic spray. And she grabs Doggy and she crawls into the locker of the ambulance, which is now on the floor. So yes. basically a hidden floor panel. Technically, they both could have hit it out in this panel until the sun came up, right? Oh, yeah. Because you just got to make it to sunrise at, at this point, right? Which I don't know how far off it is. The movie doesn't do time well. And um, much like the last season of Game of Thrones. But <laughs> but as she's crawling into this like locker panel, she turns Doggy on and throws him and then crawls and hides in the locker. This is a fucking awesome idea that she came up with. The monster immediately comes in. And it's like freaking out because it can't find the source of the sound. It's beating shit around. And then it sees Doggy and it dives on it and starts ripping the fucking doll apart. But Lizzie sneaks out from behind the monster and she takes off running and it comes after and she starts yelling at it and she lets it know that she's not afraid of it. And it charges at her and she fucking makes a blowtorch with the aerosol can and the Zippo and catches it on fire. And its entire fucking body is just engulfed in flames and it's fucking running around and screaming. Yeah, it's made of some flammable shit. Yeah, <laughs> it just falls. <laughs> up. That's going to come up here in a minute, though, like theories about the movie. OK. And it runs around, it burns to death and she just watches it fucking burn. She sneaks up on it to see if it's dead and it has a death rattle. She then proceeds to to beat it with a fucking stick just to make sure that it's dead, right? For good measure. We get another flashback, and it's of Kathy waking Lizzie up and them telling each other that they do not hate each other. And it's interesting. They're not saying, I love you. They're saying, I do not hate you. Yeah. Which is kind of strong in its own way. And Kathy tells Lizzie that she's going to be so much better than her. And Lizzie just wants her mom. That's what she says. I just want my mom. And it's a pretty heartwarming scene. We then cut to Lizzie walking out. And it's dawn now. The sun's coming up. And we hear the monologue again. My mom tells me there's no such thing as monsters, but she is wrong. They are out there waiting for you, watching. Sometimes we see them. Sometimes we don't. I know that now. I am not afraid of them anymore. The end. Fucking credits roll. (laughs) Mean it for real that time. There's some speculation that, like, the monster thing never happened and she kind of dreamed it. And the monster was her mom's alcoholism. Yeah. And then she battled it. And that's why it burned so easy and this and that. If it would have ended with them having the I don't hate you scene, I would give that some more traction. But then it cuts to her coming out of the woods in the sunlight afterwards. So to me, it was more like a flashback and not that she just woke up. It could have just been an inspirational looking shot. But yeah, I like the movie a lot more thinking that it's all a nightmare or just a representation of the struggle within the family. I know a lot of people online that don't like the movie like it up until the point 
where like the ambulance get there and there's the actual battle with the monster. They like to just creep in and stalk them in the woods, but I never saw anybody give like a suggestion of what would have happened to end it. And like, how do you end the movie? Do you just want the mother and daughter to get mauled and killed? Cause that's, I'm in that camp. <laughs> I'm in the downer guy. Um, yeah. but no. And, and I know what you're saying. Cause when it's, when it's dark and it's in shadow and you can't see what they did, cause it's a guy in a suit, it's much more effective after the ambulance shows up and you see it in better lighting and get the close ups. It's like, Oh, I liked you better when my brain was filling in the, right. the pieces and now I see it. And that's one of the things that probably looks like shit in CGI. If they had done it that way as well, cause CGI doesn't look well in bright lighting and you try to keep your practical effects dark, which they did for most yeah. of the part. Cause like when it stands up behind Lizzie in the woods, it's fucking creepy looking with the teeth and the, yeah. the drool coming down. But the problem is you, you wanted the light to be its weakness. Cause it, there's no way this, mother and child could have gotten away without it having some sort of weakness with them being unarmed. Right. Yeah. So you had to make it afraid of lights and now you're doing one of the weak points of practical effects where it starts looking like rubber and plastic when the light's shining on it. Yeah. Not that it's all in her head or whatever that camp says. It is definitely a representation of the, the deeper story of what's going on. It, it, it definitely is a representation real or not. It's still a representation of, of the alcoholism. I think. There's definitely a very strong story to be told here, though, and, and a lot to learn. And that's that road trips just suck. Yeah. Right? Stay on the main highway. <laughs> we'll Stick to the roads. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, this movie is more of a character story about the relationship between Kathy and Lizzie. And the monster is just like a side character, right? It is. And I think, I mean, even if you just ignore it being a horror movie, I, I feel like it did a good job as a film of like kind of blending the two stories. Like it, it didn't like take me out of place when it would cut to the flashbacks like it would do it and it would come right back at that moment yeah it's a cool character arc though because kathy really started off as like is she the monster she's a really shitty mom to being a hero and sacrificing herself to save her daughters that was fucking really nice yeah and you know like i said some people think it was a dream and it was completely metaphorical it would have been interesting if they were going to go that route it should have ended with you find out that the mom accidentally hit like somebody with the car yeah, or something something to snap us into back to reality. And that's why I think it was actually the monster part, but Yeah, no, I think it was the monster, but I think the monster was still at the same time a representation of the alcoholism. Like there's there's a, like a duality here. There's two monsters, right? Yeah. So. And of course, what we talked about in the very beginning that you said you probably knew what I was going to say <laughs> is viewing this as a parent is probably different than viewing it as non-parent. Um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said that well, so awkwardly. I definitely felt the mother daughter scenes but i mean from what it sounded like you did too like you thought they were good like emotional scenes so i, I did but i didn't i didn't care enough about them oh, like, okay that was that was my problem is it i halfway through the movie i don't fear for their safety okay they're they're the mom's piece of shit and <laughs> needs to die um not needs to die but you know what i mean she's a piece of shit i don't care if she does the daughter having to suffer that sucks, but she's going to be better off because she's going to go live with grandma or something. That's the fictitious world in my head. You know, she, she goes to his dad to go live with yeah. her dad's coming to get her. Already. And that's the thing. The phone call makes it seem like he's the one who got his act together. Yeah. So I don't know. And, and that was it. That was my problem was, you know, and, and y'all are being dumb. If y'all are being dumb, I don't give me, <laughs> put, put people in. That's the thing. When you're, when you're dumb and have a fun death type movie, I'm along for the ride. When it's a comedy and you're dumb, I'm along for the ride up to a certain point. But when it's serious and I'm like, you're too fucking stupid to live, that it <laughs> I'm not trying to be an asshole, but I'm just that that was my takeaway it, it, as far as not being able to get into it. Right. 
So I think that's going to wrap up this first half of Monsters. We always pick too many damn movies, and we've started going longer format, but I don't think we can go full like three or four hours in one episode and keep people safe. They might doze off at the wheel into oncoming <laughs> traffic. I don't know if I want to record one episode that's that long either. Like, I, don't, I don't know if I physically could do it. Uh, this is one of those things like we picked. There's only like two other monster movies that I could think of off the top of my head that I wanted us to cover. With us having to record ahead, and everything. It just seems like it's a good good spot to just knock six of them out real quick. But you'll have to tune in for the next episode for Monsters Part 2 to see what other three monster movies Josh and I picked. And guys, like I said, the downloads are just climbing up. I really appreciate that. It'd be nice if we start seeing some more follows on the Instagram and the Twitter. I know there's not a whole lot on there yet, but gotta have people to post it to, right? Get over there. You can see Josh doing the happy dance. The happy dance is going up as soon as I make a gif out of it. So, <laughs> But that'll be there. And any questions and comments while we're kind of on a down period. It's not a down period for you guys. You're still getting an episode every other week, but we're going to have a little break here. So send any questions or comments you have to sbspodcast at gmail.com so we can kind of review that as we're going over the format before we dive back into recording regularly again. So I'll see you guys then. Thanks for listening. Be afraid. Be very afraid.